actually probably be recording Yeah, so we could have got Paul's incriminating information about blackface Pokemon. Blackface Pokemon, yeah. They, <laughs> they, they existed, and then they accidentally existed again, because the way that Pokemon Shinies worked originally is that they were like locked into a certain color palette. And so, because of low tads, original palette, uh, like, original palette, and they got, shifted it, it. Yeah, they it, mm. re- it ended up in this weird place, and and just in the original form. But Lotad himself is like a mariachi swamp monster kind of thing with a sombrero. Yeah, he's like a, a lily. He's like a lily pad. Yeah, he's a lily pad. But when he evolves into Ludicolo, he turns into like full. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, like with a sombrero and everything. And it's just kind of, it's a very strange design, but he's very well liked <laughs> among the Pokemon community, uh, which is why he's going to be making an appearance in uh, Detective Pikachu. Is this like a, a Mexican's Love Speedy Gonzalez thing? Is it kind of like that? It's kind of, <laughs> like, it, yeah, but it's the Japanese doing the. I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, okay. <laughs> it is what it is. And so that's the that's the event this this week. I mean, we haven't had a lot of Dune news recently, but I'm glad the podcast <laughs> still has a, a healthy, healthy <laughs> dose of Pokemon Go yeah. <laughs> running through it. You know, always we got we to gotta have a through line. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's not that's not just the three of us being terrible people. There is that. Ooh. There's also that. <laughs> which we're going to get some of tonight because I have some comments. <laughs> oh. sure. There, there's a lot to be said there. <laughs> so might as well get started then. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 140 of Dance Robot Dance. I'll be your host today. My name is Paul coming in from rainy South Korea today. Weather's terrible for a Pokemon <laughs> Go event, uh, but it is raining, which is the only weather that Lotad naturally appears in. So it fits. There you go. All uh, right. <laughs> I am joined on the other side of the world by Mark. Say hello, Mark. I'm so fucking confused with all this Pokemon talk. Like, I don't know what's (laughs) going on. You're talking about stuff, and I'm like, all right. I guess it makes sense. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. And Tim. Say hello, Tim. I understand the Pokemon language only because I play Pokemon Go and nothing else, but I know what the event is. Hi, everybody. You're missing out on the best stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to, there's not, I didn't find a ton of news today, so let's try to get through it at a relatively brisk clip. So, first of all, the movie Us has premiered and dominated the box office this week and drew some controversy from Jordan Peele, who said that he won't be casting any white actors in lead roles because he's seen that movie. And white people's tears just started flowing as a result. And I, I mean, was... I, I'm, I'm with him. I get it. Like, yeah. yes, he's right. <laughs> I also think that there needs to be a codification switch where white dudes are the first people to die in his movies for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, like blonde haired, blue eyed, like protagonist looking or like the, the quote unquote final girl from the movies. They should just die together. Like all at the same time you know like whatever yeah but um yeah totally virginal girl dead in the first but you know yeah, exactly. whatever <laughs> yeah but i have not seen us yet i'm very much looking forward to seeing it tomorrow when i i have tickets for it already so i'm gonna go see it here i'm glad that it got a release at a reasonable time here in korea because not every movie import gets a speedy release here but they do love their horror movies here in korea yeah, i was gonna so say they, koreans love fucking scary movies although they, scary movies with black people i guess that might be even scarier for koreans well maybe but <laughs> uh people loved get out here like i went to see oh, yeah? get out with 
a Korean guy that I was dating at the time and he fucking loved it. And huh. and he picked up on like a lot of the racial coding and stuff like that. Like he's yeah, I was going to say I, I would guess that non North American audiences probably wouldn't pick up on a lot of the sort of racial nuance and the tropes that they're playing on and that kind of thing. Yeah, but a, a lot of Korean people of my age and younger have been growing up with North American media. I mean, they still, mm. like, the Korean media still dominates in its own sphere. Like, K-dramas, K-pop are still, like, the thing here. But mm. North America, like, the Marvel movies are fucking yeah. an obsession here. There's a cult for the Marvel movies here, absolutely. And uh, North American horror in particular, because Korean horror movies became such a big thing, they started to draw a lot, like it created a bigger interest in international horror, I guess. And mm. so, yeah. So I think that us is probably going to do pretty well here regardless. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it because it's been getting really good reviews. Dance Robot Dance, educating you on the nuances of South Korean culture and entertainment. Yeah, man. What I'm here for. Since 2019. <laughs> Since 2019, Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of box office, though, the new Dumbo movie's not looking so <laughs> no. hot, guys. No, it's not. No, it's the Thursday numbers were just slightly above Captain Marvel's in terms of box office return. And that's not opening. That's not like the opening box office. No, Captain that's on Marvel. Captain Marvel's yeah. third weekend. Yeah, this is Captain Marvel's yeah. third weekend, and it still tanked it. Yeah, so. And the reviews are middling. At best. Yeah. I've seen like really some real scathing ones, too. Like. Yeah. yeah. So, uh. like, there's so there's so many things working against this film that you know, like, the runtime is almost two hours from an originally sixty minute movie. Mm-hmm. It's the the only thing that was really going for it was the casting because I don't know, like, Tim Burton has kind of given like used up a lot of his goodwill among the public after those Alice in Wonderland movies and Dark Shadows and a lot of the other movies that he's put out recently. (laughs) I I can't think of anything he's put out recently that I'd be like, oh yeah, I like that. Like I, I, in the last 15, I wouldn't say that the first Alice in Wonderland was a good movie, but I enjoyed it visually. Like Mm. I I like, I like Tim Burton's aesthetic. So even if the movie like isn't well-written or whatever, I'm still usually there for like, oh, this is cool just to sit through from like a mood perspective. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But this one looks like doesn't look super Tim Burton-y for a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it also like it just it's weird to have a cast like this. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet, so I can't really pass judgment on it. But it's a good cast. And I feel bad for Colin Farrell and Ava Green because they always get cast in these movies where they're the best part of it. And it ends up falling flat, like Miss Peregrine's, yeah, yeah, for whatever, yeah. and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I loved Colin Farrell as the villain in that movie, and then they turned him into motherfucking Johnny Depp, and I, I screamed in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> I was just so angry. I was like, no. I have a particular like like weird thing with Eva Green, where like she can't. I, I don't know who her agent is, but she needs to fire him. Is basically <laughs> what needs to happen because like she was like the best Bond girl we've ever had. And then yeah. she did Penny Dreadful, which was like at best mediocre by the time it ended, especially. And she was the best part of that. She's the best too. part of that. And she's the best part of like, for some reason, she's in the 300 sequel and she's great. Yeah. Oh, she's yeah. good in that. The movie's <laughs> yeah. abysmally bad. And then she's in the Sin City sequel where she's like super watchable, but the rest of the movie is a complete catastrophe. And I'm like, this yeah. is. Yeah. Why did she not get cast as Catwoman? That's where. That's. There it is. Ugh. That's where I'm asking. <laughs> 
there. Oh, Ava Green and Selena Kyle. Yes, give me yeah. that. <laughs> Fuck. I will stand for his full length adaptation of Frankenweenie, which is t- 2012. That was really adorable. And I'll stand for his Sweeney Todd adaptation, which was yeah. 2007. I'll give him his Sweeney Todd too. Helen Bottom Carter was not quite Angela Lansbury level of a Mrs. Lovett, but still pretty damn good. And that was a stylish as hell movie. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I yeah, but other yeah, other than that, his output, like I can't remember. The only good thing he's done the last ten years is Frank and Weenie. I would say yeah. Because it's when been a was, long time since I've been like, Tim Burton! When was Sleepy Hollow? That was the last time I remember being excited. That was for... fucking mid-90s. Was it really? Yeah, see, that's how far back it goes. 40, uh, 99. So that was the last time I remember being like, oh, that looks like a cool Tim Burton movie. Like, I'm excited for that movie. Because then the next yeah, one after yeah. that was Planet of the Apes. And, like, I knew that was going to suck way ahead of time. So, like... Oof, yeah. <laughs> Sleepy oh. Hollow is one of those movies I, I went to see in the theaters, but I don't remember because I only took a girl to make out because yeah. I thought it would be a good makeout movie. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Let's see. That's all I've got for movie news. Oh, except for one thing. So back a little while ago, the Hellboy reboot, I guess it's a reboot, tried to cast a a white actor in a Japanese role. Uh, Oh, yeah. The role of Ben Daimyo was going to be cast as Ed Screen. I think think it was, was yeah. the, The original caster and got recast as Daniel J. Kim, which is much better but the reason that they the producers gave for miscasting him was that they lost track of who the character was <laughs> and it just i don't like what is that reasoning like it yeah. is the flimsiest excuse i've ever ever heard on uh, like the the whitewashing thing like you could like make an argument I guess for Scarlett Johansson as the major in Ghost in the Shell as like, first of all, oh, people won't watch a movie starring a woman of color or whatever, which is bullshit. But or or that the major can inhabit any body she wants, blah, blah, blah. But this is like just the laziest kind of like, oh, we just lost track of him. He just didn't really remember who he was, but he's going to be a character in our movie. So it's like, just throw him in there, cast whoever. Like, yeah, yeah. That's so it's pretty bad. It sounds like Hollywood, though. Like it doesn't surprise me when they <laughs> say that, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't surprise. It's just kind of like, yeah. Like bookmark this for the next time they try to whitewash another character and find out if they just lost track of who they were. Because that I don't know. Anyway, I don't know if you guys heard about this on uh, like this past week. Zack Snyder was getting all up in arms about the, his portrayal of Batman. And he wants you to wake the fuck up and accept that Batman just kills people. And Mark, I thought that you might have a take on that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I think we all saw Batman be Superman. And uh, he wrecks some bitches in that. He does. Movie. He kills a lot of motherfuckers in that movie. I think what we can take from that is that uh, Zack Snyder may not understand the character of Batman as well as he claims to. But yeah. who am I to argue with this cinematic genius who <laughs> one-to-one transplanted Watchmen from a graphic novel into a four-hour fucking movie that feels like it's 38 hours long? So, I mean, like, <laughs> it takes a special kind of skill to do that. So I really shouldn't argue with Zack Snyder because he made Sucker Punch. So, <laughs> I mean, clearly this is a guy who's like, 
I know how to do a fucking Batman movie, right? The thing is that Batman in so many stories, like in the Arkham games yeah, and yeah, the yeah. comic, like have done so many things to people that in reality would have fucking killed them. It's just he's the first one to come out and say it. Yeah. Yeah. Is really what's happened here. Yeah. And to be yeah. honest, in I read something that said like basically in this same paragraph, like same speech, Zack Snyder specifically said, and all of the media will pick this up and completely misconstrue yeah, my words. Yeah. <laughs> and bang, that's yeah. what, that's what happened. They pulled this one quote, and that's it. Yeah, because I, I read the article this week, and it was just like, I mean, he never understood the characters to begin with. I mean, that was pretty clear from the movie. But like, who gives a shit? Like, why are we still talking to him? Like, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> that's just it. Is is yeah? It, it, let him let him just fucking be. He his fucking his daughter died or whatever, right? Yeah, this is like of, awful uh, shit happened to him. Justice League, and like, just fucking let the guy be. Yeah. He made some movies that not everybody liked. Like, that's no reason to fucking just pick apart his entire life and everything he says from there on out. Although, to be yeah. fair, he does put himself into it. It yeah. seems quite a bit. Like, was it, was it, this was at C2E2. I was going to say, he was at a con, yeah. right? Yeah, he was at C2E2 this weekend. Yeah. I mean, fair, yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. if he wants to think, like, Batman has killed historically. That Michael Keaton Batman, like, if we ever review those movies, he kills everybody. Like, he fucking kills <laughs> everybody. So it's not like it's not historically yeah. precedent, like, for, like, especially cinematically. Like the the Bale Batman, he crippled some motherfuckers that are never gonna walk yeah. again. Like, Just because you don't see the light go out in their <laughs> eyes does not mean these people do not end up dead yeah. from Batman's ministrations <laughs> yeah. of justice. Like, I don't know. Like he, yeah, he fucks some people up real bad. I'm like, you know, he's probably killed some of those guys. I'm cool with it. It's fine, whatever. <laughs> I just in my head, I'm like, he doesn't kill anybody, but you know, yeah. You just don't blast it and get from the rooftops. It's like you know what? Maybe just keep your fucking mouth shut and just. Yeah. Why is he speaking at C2E2? Like, why do we still care? I don't know. <laughs> mm. All right. So next I have, oh, comic book news. Uh, Jonathan Hickman is going to be writing the two new big X-Men events. Hickman is well known for his uh, Fantastic Four and Avengers run. And I was, I really like his Fantastic Four run. It's one of the few times I'm like, I actually, in- first of all, picked up yeah, a Fantastic same. Four book and read read the entire thing, uh, read his entire run. So this is a very exciting time because he's doing two different stories. One of them is called Powers of X and the other one is House of yeah. X. And they've got Pippi Laraz on art, on pencils. So I'm down with generally most of what Jonathan Hickman has done in his career. So like, I'm pretty excited about this. I might actually, it'll be the first time in a while I've picked up a comic book that isn't something I've already read. Well, what's so. funny is that uh, unlike the last couple times they've done X-Men events, it almost feels like for some reason, Marvel's behind this one and is actually promoting it. <laughs> and I don't know what changed in the last, like, I don't know, a week. That would uh, <laughs> they would suddenly be like, oh shit, the X Men. We should we could do the. Remember how popular those comics? Yeah, were? we should promote them. Remember how popular <laughs> those comic books were for like a long time, and then we just stopped promoting them because there yeah. there was a reason. I just yeah. we, we don't know. What, yeah, there was there was some reason. Was it a was it a, was it a rights issue? It might have been a rights it? issue. I I'm not really clear yeah. on what that was though. It just cleared up this week though, from yeah. what I understand. There was no news about it. Yeah. but like listeners, yeah. we're talking about the Fox <laughs> and Disney deal. Yeah. So it it yeah. does it definitely feels like all of a sudden like. Marvel is like, hey, we have X-Men. Maybe we should like put the best writer we have in our stable currently on that book and just because he's been begging for X-Men for years. Like that's like when he started at Marvel on Avengers, he was like, I'm just doing this so I can get X-Men one day. 
Like that's that's <laughs> what he said outright. Like this is what he's wanted from the start. He's like, I want two X Men books running concurrently, and I'm not telling you how long I'm going to be on them. And I'm like, Jonathan Hickman, if you want to write X Men and make them not suck, please do. Please, yeah, please, please do. Because <laughs> like for the the longest because of Can the you do man while you're like, at it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, fix fix lots of things, please. Because yeah, and, like, and this is doing good stuff on Superman right now. Yeah. yeah, that's on your side of the yeah. aisle. We're talking about and, uh, our, our side of the aisle is all fucked up right now, comic book wise. So. <laughs> yeah, comic book wise, it's been a, it's been quite a mess. Nick um, <laughs> been taking over the X universe. I was like, oh, thank God. So, so to play devil's advocate on this, though, I also saw a lot of people complaining that Marvel looks like they're really loading up the next year with events again. Like they've got like big event books like every few months, and that is one thing that Marvel is often been criticized of as event there burnout. is yeah i saw that too and i, I, yeah. I, I, Crossover I thought burnout. exactly the same thing they are very like line disparate events if you look at them like one's a yeah. hulk event which means like 14 people are gonna read it um unless it's as good as world war hulk <laughs> which never happens hasn't happened since world war hulk so i don't think there's any concern about that happening now some of the recent hulk books have shot up in value i don't know which ones and what what the story is but i've seen a lot of chatter about it uh, i don't know I haven't, I've been yeah. kind of outside the 616 a lot lately. Like I don't, I've been reading any Marvel stuff, lots of indie weirdness yeah. lately for me, if I'm reading anything and I have been keeping up with your little, uh, heroes in crisis story. Although it's, it's slow it burning, but, uh, it's goddamn but it's time. compelling. It is taking its goddamn time, but he's got me yeah. engaged. No, I'm going to, I'm going to have to reread it once it's done, but yeah, it was definitely like, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, either way, Hickman on X-Men. Let's do this thing. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And let's forget that they tried to make the Inhumans happen on a wide scale. <laughs> we don't have to. Man, we have the X-Men yeah. back. The Inhumans, who? Who are the Inhumans? Yeah, we have exactly. the X-Men back. Exactly. It's over. The Inhumans nightmare is over, guys. Yeah. I mean, that, that Inhumans <laughs> nightmare was over the second that fucking TV show hit the airwaves. Because, like, that was a, that was a, <laughs> yeah. that was a bad, bad idea. But, yeah, no, they have the X-Men yeah. back now. They don't need to do anything yeah. with the Inhumans. They can just ignore them. They yeah. can be, at best, C-tier... Yeah. Fantastic Four cameos going forward. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're good. In gaming news, Yoshi's Crafted World has dropped finally. A lot of people have been pining for a new Yoshi game because a lot of the past ones were not super great. Um, <laughs> Yoshi's Woolly World and Yoshi's Island 3D in particular were like, people were just clamoring for the... We want Yoshi's Island, yeah. Yoshi's Island for Super Nintendo, which has been re-released multiple times. And it is still a wonderful game. It plays really well. It still looks gorgeous. Like It's a Super Nintendo game, but the art style still holds up really yeah. beautifully. And Yoshi's Crafted World, it's I think it is definitely geared more towards children, but it looks gorgeous. So did Willy World, to be fair. Like, I played through Willy World because of how cool it looked. Like That whole yarn aesthetic that they did was very neat. Yeah. The game was the simplest thing I've ever played in my life. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was cool. I'm probably going to download this. Well, whether or not I downloaded it at full price, we'll see. Full price is where I'm kind of like, I'm not paying $80 for this. Like I will pay $40 for this, but I'm not paying $80. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that, you know, the Yoshi franchise is still happening because um, I really do love that original Yoshi's Island game. It's still like one of those 2D side scrollers I can go back to pretty frequently and just kind of, I just love the the world and the challenges and the style of it, except for Screaming Baby Mario. But you just kind of learn yeah, to tune that out eventually. Part of the aesthetic, you kind of got to have <laughs> Screaming Baby Mario for Super Mario World 2 to work. Yeah. So, yeah, Yoshi's Island is like one of my favorite Super Nintendo games. I played the shit out of that game. Yeah. So I wish they would do like a real like 
hardcore sequel to it, but mm-hmm. whatever, man. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So that's all the stuff that I picked up this week. Does anybody have anything else? Of course I do. Well, the, uh, if we're talking about, uh, Marvel attractions, I didn't have this, but the, uh, Ant-Man attraction at, I think Hong Kong Disneyland opened up this week. Cool. You get to go through and like help them on help Ant-Man and the Wasp on a mission and shoot targets and stuff. But oh, nice. this for nineties movies fans, the craft is getting a remake from Blumhouse with a, yeah. <laughs> with a female director. Oh, okay. So yeah, I don't, no, I still have a lot of love for that movie. It is. Oh yeah, a, I love the original. Yeah, it's not a a good movie, but it was very like it's another one of those movies that is like very much all aesthetic. Yeah. And we're gonna talk about this a lot when we talk about Sleeping Beauty. But like the aesthetic of the craft and like just the the cultural touchstone that it hit on in that kind of mid nineties goth thing in the Marilyn Manson era and stuff like that. Like it was very of its time. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting to see the craft get redone considering they're re they're all, they, there's also a second season of like the reboot of charmed happening yeah. right now, which I like, I, I used to watch charmed. So I was like, Oh, there's a new one. I had no idea. Now I do. So, yeah. So these are both shows that I looked at, but never really watched. Yeah. So Specifically charmed. I did I did enjoy. That's I love Alyssa, Alyssa Milano. Yeah. <laughs> I love Alyssa Milano. Yeah. I do quite love And uh I always had thing for oh fuck, was the lead girl in uh craft. Robin Tunney? No, not Robin Tunney, the well the Bruce of yeah, Bruce Bulk. Bulk, the yeah. Oh, uh, kinda crazy. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the director for this is uh Zoe Lister Jones, who has been on New Girl and various other TV comedies and yeah, so interesting. Yeah, oh, there was that weird story recently about how all of the white actresses from the original craft were asked to go to con, but Rachel True yeah um, didn't get invited. That That was that was a bummer. Yeah, and like Twitter in general was just kind of like we're disappointed but not surprised. Yeah, kind of thing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. In other comic book news, this week was Detective Comics number 1000. Oh, that's right. It was. Uh, I got my copy. I'm uh, through the first couple of pieces because for these big anniversary issues, they always do like the, well, I say always, this is only the second comic ever to reach number 1000. Um, the other one being Action Comics last year. They d- tend to do like just a bunch of little vignettes kind of thing that aren't really, not necessarily linked, um, but they're just sort of in the spirit of the character. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I, we talked on a past episode about like all the insane creative talent on this book. And so I'm looking forward to getting through the rest of it. Yeah, I got to uh, get into my comicsology and pull that because I forgot about that this week. Yeah. So I want to take a look at it for sure. Yeah, it's a $10, uh, like I think 80 issue or 80, uh, 80, 80 page, page or something yeah. like that giant issue. So which is also poignant because it is uh, Batman's 80th anniversary as well of the character itself. So. Those two are coinciding. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to talk about this Gollum game. <laughs> <laughs> can we, can you go get Alicia and then we can let her talk about it? Cause that's what I, think, I really want to hear. I think she's in the bathtub. We'll have to have her talk about it on the next, next time we have her on. But yeah. Yeah. Lord of the Rings has a spotty history in terms of video game adaptations. There are some great ones. There are some mm-hmm. trash ones, but uh, apparently there's, uh, what company is it? Daedalic Entertainment uh, is going to be making a movie that fo- or a fucking game that follows Gollum around. So I don't know how 
that will go, but we'll see. It could be cool. Like it could be cool. If, like Mark and I were talking, it, it would be cool. Like if they play up the mental illness sort of side of things, then like you've got voices in your head trying to direct you and mess with your, you know, like your Smeagol is, has possession of the body, but Gollum's in the back trying to be like, no, be good. Don't kill them and shit like that. And vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only reserve judgment. It just seems like a weird choice to have, like, you know, like Gollum, in spite of the fact of being the accidental hero of the final book, you know, by biting off Frodo's finger and falling into lava. Uh, yeah. It's weird that they chose this character, like, who is just, like, the ultimate side character, <laughs> like, antagonist thing to be the the main character of a video game where you have to follow him and inhabit yeah. Gollum. But I will, interesting, I'll check it out. <laughs> but I it's guess. also like, it's a, it's a video game adaptation of the Titanic, right? You know how the fuck this shit ends. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tap X to not sink. Yeah. Like, <laughs> your, your rose at the end of the, mo- the movie yeah. or whatever. And it's like, choose to move over and save jack or let him sing yeah it's like yeah yeah to kill your friend over this ring that he just found yeah that that's gonna happen regardless so because that's the way the story goes yeah yeah Yeah. that new mutants movie is oh yeah there's a little bit of news on that this week where uh maisie williams said that the reshoots that were planned have still not happened and so she's calling into question whether the actual movie still exists or not not that i imagine she's the authority on whether this movie is happening or not but she is in it yeah being one of the main stars of the movie yeah i saw that too and like i don't know it's weird that like because you know dark phoenix is coming out yeah and i am still not totally sold on that movie but i probably will see it like like i want to see this now just for the curiosity of it yeah me too i uh i almost forgotten Maisie williams was in this movie so when like she started like she started talking about it and it came up in my newsfeed, I was like, why? Why is she talking about that movie? Is she in it? And I had to go yeah. look it up. And I was like, I forgot she was in there. That's cool. Man, she could have been like she could have been in a movie with her Game of Thrones sister if they'd ever, you know, not canceled this entire universe. So, like, yeah, that was cool. one of the things she said she wanted to do is yeah. that she wanted to have like a crossover with Sophie Turner. Too bad Disney just like fucked all those plans off real bad. Eh? That's too <laughs> yeah. bad. But yeah, no, I, I I don't know what's going on with this movie, man. Like, especially hearing that the reshoots haven't even happened yet is where I'm like, huh, that sounds like that movie's dead in the water, kind of. Because like you would think they would have just done the reshoots, like, yeah, because yeah. just do the fucking reshoots and get the movie. You, out. Yeah, you've pumped this much money into it, you might as well spend a little, you know, a few few mil more just to finish it up and get it out there. Yeah, have it make back however much it's gonna make whatever especially now maybe the other disney guys are in control maybe they've seen like the rough cut and are just like i don't fuck what the fuck do we <laughs> what do, with do we do <laughs> yeah like what the fuck do we do with it like i don't know what to do like we'd have to shoot the whole movie again so like maybe we just scuttle it yeah I think that that may be very well where it is too because like that movie was like nobody knew anything about it so who knows it could be right i don't know that bad i guess and look, if you kind of consider the the way that they're treating the casting of like the Avengers and stuff like that, like the the actors that they choose particularly, there's like they're really like hyping them up and creating a cult of personality around each of these actors. Like 
Chris Evans as Captain America is Captain America. There's no other Iron Man but Robert Downey Jr. And like, there was something kind of throwaway and forgettable about most of the X-Men except for Hugh Jackman and maybe Patrick Stewart, obviously. Is, is yeah, but, that, even, but even those were weird because like, I if if anybody if any of the replacements I accept it's McAvoy and Fassbender like replacing yeah you know what I mean? yeah so it's always Magneto yeah. Xavier yeah. and Wolverine who have like those are the core characters of the X Men franchise Presence. yeah yeah and then like everybody yeah. else kind of they just slot them in because they're like oh we want to we want to cast yeah. Jennifer Lawrence like who can she be I'm like well the hot blonde played Mystique in the last one so like yeah cha-ching you know what i mean like <laughs> let's get the new hot blonde to play the younger version of the older hot blonde blah 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 like that's like <laughs> that's what it felt like when they were casting the movies yeah and then they just lucked into her becoming katniss or whatever and like centered the whole fucking franchise around her for whatever reason even though she didn't care anymore anyway mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know like they I, yeah i don't know this this movie i was baffled when they even announcement i was curious when they showed that trailer and now it's like two years later and i'm like gives a shit anymore like let's just fucking make an x-men movie with the marvel guys and do it right now yeah i don't know, I don't know. for sure i feel like they sent all these movies off with logan and i'm kind of done and i'm like i don't <laughs> care about yeah. any of this i'm like they killed the characters that i care about in that movie yeah like who gives a shit about the rest of this stuff now so yeah. let's get to end game guys god damn it <laughs> yeah and uh and then the only other thing i had is that a u.s version of what we do in the shadows premiered a couple nights ago i haven't watched it yet but uh i've heard i've heard good things about it so far because we did do that episode on it so oh yeah i haven't seen that i i I have to find a way to support that because i really like i loved the movie so much and i really want i just want i just want jermaine to be okay you know i love (laughs) i I think he's doing uh, somehow i think they're doing okay yeah I know they are, but I like, still want to support them. Basically, like, them. doesn't he own Hollywood now? Like, he's he should be fucking <laughs> popular over there these days. So I think he's doing all right. Yeah. And I'm sure he'll bring Jermaine along. Yeah. Like, I, talentless Claude that Jermaine really is. I'm sure they'll bring him along for the ride. You know, <laughs> right? Dare you? I'll yeah, I'm sure they'll find you. something for him to do. Like, right. come on. Yeah, yeah. Now that he's yeah. now that uh, Legion's only getting one more season. Yeah. Yeah, he was on that show for what, like ten minutes yeah. per season, anyway. Uh, he was in it more in the okay. second season, but he was still, I would say, a supporting yeah. character, not a lead character. Fair. I should go. Re- like, I should go back and maybe I'll just wait until it's all done and rewatch the whole thing. That's what I'll do with Legion. So, do we have any more news? That was everything I had. No. Oh, Mark, do you have anything? No. No. All right. So, I guess it's time for our geek of the week. Geek of the week. So we talk about what our geekiest thing that we did this week was. So let's start with Tim. Tim, tell us what your geekiest thing was this week. Ooh, uh, I had a geeky week. Let's see. I had Geek by Proxy because one of my friends is currently the three-day champion on Jeopardy, which is pretty cool. That's pretty fucking dope. We're watching Jeopardy right now. Stephen Grade is a friend of mine from Atlanta. So go, Stephen. I also saw an early screening of Shazam, but I posted about that on the Facebook page. So I'm going to go with last night, Alicia and I did uh, and spoiler alert decimated a lord of the rings trivia at a local <laughs> asian bakery slash bubble tea parlor <laughs> so we we get we missed one question and we only missed it because they asked for a direct quote and we missed one word of it oh okay <laughs> <laughs> so the, for those of our listeners that are interested the question was what is uh, aragorn's first line in the movies and we put you draw too much attention to yourself, Mister Underhill, because it's when they're in uh, the Prancing Pony and Bree, and mm-hmm. 
Whereas the actual line is you draw far too much attention to yourself, Mr. Underhill. Oh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Alicia should be scolded for that. Like she should remember that. <laughs> Alicia was the one that picked it up after we submitted our, oh, our, sure. uh, our answer. And she was like, wait a minute. I think there was a far in there. Uh-huh. And then sure enough, there was, but <laughs> we still won. <laughs> The fact that she knew that is just amazing to me. Yeah. Like, good, good for her. I mean, she's watched that movie a cup like Fellowship of the Ring in particular at least 150 times, if yeah. not more. I can see that. Mm. So I can see that. So, uh, Geek of the Week, Mark, what did you do this week? Well, your little, your like the meat of the episode sent me down a uh, an illustration hole. So I've been researching animation and drawing and doing weird little exercises because I got way too much fucking time in my hands and I'm bored of PlayStation now. So I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. <laughs> Somebody has to hire me soon or I'm going to lose my mind is basically what I'm, it's coming down to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been, I've been just like drawn doodling, you know, trying to get some stuff done. I got a poster I'm doing for my sister and her husband that I've been working on for a while. It's taking just an infinite amount of time. So I've been working on that and yeah. Mm. Was there a, an a assigned reading in particular that uh, sent you down this rabbit hole, or was it just like the animation? Uh, a little in bit. General like that... we could, we'll talk about it more because that's basically all I have to talk about in these Disney episodes. Because <laughs> I really don't like these movies. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was I like, yeah. the, the the way the the stuff entangled worked um, had a had a particular influence from like some old like 50, classical fifties illustration stuff but it was translated really interestingly to 3d and i've been learning how to 3d model the last little while i've been teaching myself how to like use that brush and stuff so i was like oh it's it's cool like how they rigged everything up and stuff and we're setting up animations and blah 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 so i was looking at that and then like yeah sleeping beauty always sends me down like a an andrew loomis like old school illustration i gotta reread those books and start mm. drawing hands again kind of rabbit hole which turns into like well i've just blown through two moleskins drawing fucking hands again because what else am I going to do with my spare time? Draw goddamn hands. So, so that's the geek of the week this week. Just practice hands. hands yeah. Draw hands. I don't know why. Draw hands. Yeah. My uh, my geek of the week is not quite as productive or fun. Because um, I... So, as our listeners know, I have gone down the Pokemon Go rabbit hole recently after I've restarted it again. Um, I bought... I ordered a gotcha, which is a <laughs> device... That automatically catches Pokemon Go Pokemon for you through as you're walking around. As you're walking around, so that you don't have to have your phone open. I I feel I can't get it to work yet. Um, I'm like I'm pretty technologically savvy. Like I I've built my own computer and stuff like that. But there's something about me and Bluetooth, and particularly Bluetooth stuff that involves like uh, integrating with Pokemon stuff, like the my the Bluetooth connection between my switch and my phone <laughs> to get your Pokemon, Pokemon let's go. go. Yeah. Yeah. And my pokeball plus and the, is, now the gotcha. There's just, I there's, is it possibly because you're in Samsung land and all this stuff's designed around like iOS? iOS usually. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, that is probably, and I have an old, like oh. my, I have an S seven. So it's still, it's on a little bit on the older end of the spectrum now, I guess it's, you know, it's yeah. been, three years three th- four models three models yeah. later now or whatever yeah the s10s are about to come out if they haven't already. yeah so well they, they're out because i saw them in, in korean like you know all the stores in korea are pushing yeah i was in best buy this week and i saw s10 mm-hmm. and pixel 3 adverts alongside the uh the usual iphone xs yeah. and xr uh advertising so so the 
idea around me getting a gacha is that it can focus more on like raiding and powering up my Pokemon that are good for the larger like group battles in the game as opposed to like because I'm stuck at work for such a long time they, they can the gacha can auto catch and build up my stardust so i can level up my pokemon a little bit easier and stuff like that because i'm in it i'm mostly in it these days for like the group raids and you know it's a good way to meet new people here and people who are enthusiastic about pokemon so yeah that's what i'm going to be doing i'm going to be doing a pokemon raid not next week but the week after that for the giratina origin forum release so yeah, that's my Geek of the Week is just trying to figure out my gotcha. It's been a day and a bit. I still haven't yes. quite gotten it to work yet. So. Mark, don't you long for the days of my more casual Pokemon Go know, banter rather than <laughs> Paul's like hardcore <laughs> deep down the rabbit what hole I, What Pokemon I really Go would banter? like to do is just like extricate myself from this completely and like slot Christy in for like an episode <laughs> and just see how the three of you like Pokemon Go nerd out together. Without me here, like, <laughs> kind of scowling at you from my webcam, just being like, will you guys please just shut the fuck up so we can talk about something I can talk about? I don't think Christy plays anymore, because I'm friends with her, and she she hasn't, like, I, I've sent a gift to her, like, fucking months ago that she hasn't opened. Yeah, same. So The same thing could be said of text messages to Christy, so I mean, like, there's that, too. <laughs> we love you, Christy. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, so, uh, that's it for my geek of the week. So, uh, oh god, my the fucking right brain just hit the front of my fucking skull. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> oh, did you lose some of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I'm gonna have to leave that in. Woo. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. That was torrential. <laughs> so now we are going to move on to our meat of the episode. Sleepy Mermaid Harry Meat. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, uh, as I am the host, I decided to do another movie episode where we take a look at uh, three different films. And this time I wanted to go full Disney. Yeah. Also, just so we know, this is Paul's last week on the podcast because of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Hey, I'm here for it. Yeah, I wanted to take a look at Disney films like throughout the ages and see how the company has evolved uh, in like a kind of microcosm, particularly focusing on Disney princess movies, because like there are different genres of fairy tale and of course, different genres of Disney movie. And there's like the animal, the talking animal movies. And then there's the more straight up adventure movies. And then you have the Disney princess movies, the princess movies probably being the most well-known and probably the biggest franchise that they have, like the most lucrative. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to take a look at not the original cause I did snow white is fucking boring guys. I did not want to subject anybody to that. <laughs> so um, I chose sleeping beauty as our Princess Classic, The Little Mermaid for our Disney Renaissance pick, and for our the new Renaissance pick, I chose Tangled. So, first of all, before we get started on that, the I know we've talked about it a little bit before, but how would you rate yourself as a Disney fan? One being completely like hating Disney, or uh, being completely indifferent to Disney, and ten being like everything Disney all the time, forever. Uh, let's start with Tim. It's no secret that I am a Disney fan, but my Disney fandom is weird and that it is primarily geared towards the parks, you know, Disney World, Disneyland, the international parks. 
that being said, I mean, yeah, I grew up with Disney movies for sure. Um, I am, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, doing like a watch through of all of the very slowly because I keep getting interrupted by other stuff. All of the Walt Disney Animation Studios movies because there were big chunks that I'd never seen before. And we're like, all right, I should really remedy this just for like my own cultural knowledge. So in terms of if I'm having to say specifically Disney movies, I'll probably say I'm like an eight out of 10 Disney movie fan. Like most of the ones I'm really there for, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sit down and watch them or if they're on, if somebody else has them on or whatever, I'll watch them. Yeah. But there's some parts of it yeah. that are just too much for me. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Mark? How would you rate yourself as a Disney person? <sighs> probably like on the lower end of the scale. I don't like, I don't hate Disney. I have a, like a fondness for them based on like, I like animation. I grew up on these movies. A lot of people that I know are very <laughs> fond of them, but like as a like something that I'm into, mm-hmm. it's like a what did you say the scale was? One to ten. Like I, I feel like I feel like five, like just right in the middle. Like I'm indifferent for the most part. Yeah. But like every once in a while, a good one will catch my eye, or something in some one of these movies will be like because we're going to talk about a particular character in one of these movies, <laughs> it's the greatest thing that ever happened <laughs> to fucking film. All right, but like the rest of that movie. I don't really care about it. Yeah. So like, mm. that's kind of where I am with these. So like, I'm going to say, I'm going to say five right in the middle. I can take or leave. It doesn't matter. Mm. Interesting. So yeah, I, for myself, I would probably rate myself around the same as Tim where I, an eight out of 10. And my focus is primarily the, the films and video games. Cause Kingdom I like them hearts. Kingdom hearts. Definitely. Yeah. But also like, uh, like individual, I love the DuckTales game. Yeah. Yeah, I was just replaying that remake on PS4. That's yeah, dope. I love that. There was the uh, the Super Nintendo Mickey Mouse where he played dress up and had different powers, like he was the fireman, and like the uh, he had his fun and fancy free outfit where he ha- had the grappling hook and stuff like that. Like I've always had a fondness for the characters in general, and since I've become a kindergarten teacher, and Disney is kind of a universal language. Like Disney was not a big thing in Korea because uh, until they started modernizing after the war and like. South Korea was extremely impoverished for a long time. And Disney kind of swooped in in around, I guess, the 90s, 2000s and became a much bigger thing. And Frozen Fever was in full effect when I was a kindergarten teacher. Like every fucking girl was dressed up as Elsa. All the boys were like, we hate Frozen, but they'd all seen it like multiple times. And like, so I come at it as like, I am introducing the kids to some of the Renaissance Disney stuff that they had not seen before. Like while while we're having snack time, I'll throw on Hakuna Matata on YouTube or I'll make a man out of you or everybody wants to be a cat. Not we are Siamese. (laughs) Everybody wants to be a cat has just that little bit of Asian racism in it. Just like the the, the cat playing the piano with the chopsticks. And I'm just like, oh, (laughs) Every time it happens, I'm like, I try to kind of skip through it <laughs> so we don't have to see that part. But like, because it's nostalgic to me and I like a lot of those songs and the kids seem to enjoy them, like it's kind of rekindled my love for Disney, along with the fact that it started a little bit before that when Tangled and Frozen got released. And I was like, oh, these movies are actually like quite watchable and not fucking boring like Atlantis or the later oh, day like 2D stuff. So, or Brother Bear. We're, we're, we're home on the range. Oh, oh, God, so bad. <laughs> so I've also recently done a Disney rewatch of like the whole 
canon. And some of that stuff is woof. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I enjoy most of the Walt Disney Animation Studios stuff. So yeah, 8 out of 10 for me. Um, so that being said, what's your favorite Disney movie? If you could, if you had to pick one, gun to your head, what's your favorite? Mark, what's your favorite? How, how do you define Disney movie? Because like Infinity War, I get to say Infinity War. Disney animation. I get to say Infinity War, right? Like Infinity War works. Um, Animated Disney film. The one that I go back to the most is yeah, Pixar doesn't count. I was going to say The Incredibles is the one that I probably watched the most. Um, Sleeping Beauty is actually probably my favorite. And it's basically just because I like the illustration style of it, like I like mm-hmm. the animation style of it. So it's the one that I kind of like <sighs> between my fondness for Maleficent as a villain and my fondness for the animation of this movie. It's something that I will throw on in the background, especially if I'm drawing, because I find it very inspiring to watch just like these guys. are. This is all by hand and it is all fucking super tight and it looks really good. like there's some jank in there. But for the most part, for like 1959, mm-hmm. it's a good fucking looking animated movie. So. And it's all done by hand, which is something that I really appreciate. So yeah, I think Sleeping Beauty is the one that I kind of like will always say is my favorite. A lot of those ones in like the eight, like the nineties, like the Renaissance ones, you guys watched too much, and I was just <laughs> that much older than you guys for me to appreciate. So I was kind of like, nineteen eighty nine is when Little Mermaid came out, and that's kind of the Renaissance restarting, right? Mm-hmm. Nineteen eighty nine yeah. is also the year that Ghostbusters two. The Last Crusade and Batman came out, <laughs> which basically is like a year that sets Mark on a particular path <laughs> that goes very, very far away from Disney. Yeah, well, until, very you know, cool. until, you know, Disney kind of crashes back into my big fucking franchise <laughs> and like takes it all over. Like but, the fucking Kool-Aid man with a, yeah, with a bunch of, with a bunch of Avengers yeah. and X-Men in the bowl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking, I don't know what happened there because that wasn't the plan, but like eventually they kind of re- coincided again. But like, yeah, at the time I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm cool. Like I don't, I don't need cartoons anymore that don't have Batman in them. I just that's what I want. I want Batman cartoons. I don't want singing mermaids not doing anything for me at you know eight years old, eight year old boy Mark in the eighties. Just not happening. So yeah. Optimus Prime. That's what I'm talking about at that point. <laughs> so mm, yeah, yeah. How about you, Tim? What is your favorite Disney favorite all time Disney animated movie? Tough call, but I would probably say Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Fucking fantastic animation, fun story, and that soundtrack is just amazing. Yeah. I that was one of those ones I remember just you know, watching over and over and as a kid. I'm pretty sure I had like the book on tape or like on record or something like that too. So I would like read that over and over along with the songs and everything and yeah. When I play songs for my kids, the bare necessities video of just that that sequence always gets the biggest reaction from my kids. They love to yeah. They just, yeah. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's an interesting choice, but yeah, because like I don't have a lot of, I, d- I guess I didn't really see the Jungle Book animated movie until I was grown already, I, or at least I didn't remember it. Like I'm sure I know it. I've seen it a hundred million times because of you. <laughs> like I know we it played on repeat in the house because I've seen it a hundred times. And these are not ever movies. I don't know. And like, we can get mom on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure these are not <laughs> movies that I would ask. Yeah, Karen, you're going to have to comment on this. How yeah, many times like, has yeah. Paul seen Jungle Book? Because like, I know I didn't ask yeah. to watch it. And I know I saw it 500 times. And I know that was because of you. Yeah. It's the same as that fucking Swan movie. Remember that fucking Swan movie with the yeah. brothers or whatever and the little yeah. girl? And yeah, the been, yeah that swans. one. Yeah, God absolutely. damn it. That movie is, that movie, holy shit. I, uh, Lee's found it on YouTube and made me watch it last year. I almost killed myself halfway through it. I was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. It's so good. Uh, oh, man. 
the fact that it's on YouTube for free is what kind of got me about that whole situation with the Wild Swan. But anyway, <laughs> nobody yeah. cares yeah. enough to yeah. actually <laughs> file a file a DRMC on it. But this is a movie like Paul made me watch five hundred times when we were kids, like just a million times. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I just can't remember having a particular fondness. I don't think any. I don't think you I did, but I just remember like all these movies were on in like a cycle. Like those, I just remember yeah. those. Yeah. God, the afternoons we had the yes. bubble. I remember VHS. the afternoons when you and Lee's would take yeah. all those fucking movies off a shelf and just be like, "We're watching all these today." And I was just like, "I'm gonna go die in the Nintendo room somewhere because <laughs> this sounds like yeah. hell to me." Yeah, like where are my Guns and Roses records and my copy of Mega Man Two? I know what I'm doing this <laughs> afternoon, <laughs> and it's going into this room pretending I'm listening to Guns and Roses and playing Mega Man Two, but actually masturbating. Well, uh, there's hey, you got <laughs> that's 15 minutes, man. Mega Man fills in a lot more time than that 15 minute. <laughs> You got a refractory period. That's when Mega Man and Guns N' Roses happen. Fair yeah. enough. That's the that's the comeback period. <laughs> oh god. All right. So my favorite Disney movie, probably no secret to Mark, is the also oh, Sleeping yeah. Beauty. I I have a f- big fondness for the aesthetic of this movie, and we can start talking about it now because, like, it is the first movie that we were to watch. There's something about this movie that is, and it is, it is like purely aesthetic whereas the storytelling of this movie isn't really that good no but the execution and delivery of this story is what makes this movie so fucking watchable everything from the animation to the music to the art design to the voice acting is all incredible but it's in service of a really fucking bare bones kind of nonsensical plot that really like is just a very standard fairy tale story but it's just elevated because of the style of it so let's talk about sleeping beauty overall impressions tim what did you think of sleeping beauty uh i've always loved sleeping beauty as well very much for the same reason as you just stated like the aesthetic of it is just fucking amazing the art deco-y style like the really lush vibrant backgrounds and everything like that just grab me just the level of i i think it's a much better balance uh or uh yeah balance of like spectacle and story than more recent disney movies like i think they're more focused these days on being like all right we got to pull people in via story because people have seen everything under the fucking sun on a movie screen now whereas in 1959 Mm -hmm. people go and be like oh my god like their jaw would just be dropping at the visual aspects of it yeah absolutely and i mean yeah it's just it's a fucking disney classic it is yeah i i don't know what else to say about it is it is one of my it's probably in my like top five favorite Disney movies. How about you, Mark? What do you think of Sleeping Beauty in general? Uh, I've always liked Sleeping Beauty a fair bit. I think it's got the best villain in the Disney canon. I think it's got my favorite. Like, I was when I was watching it this week. I was like, man, they really like stealth the super progressive plot by just having a bunch of middle aged women hating on each other for basically the the bulk of the story it was like three <laughs> middle aged women versus another middle aged woman just. <laughs> Holy having a, shit! Having a scrap. The, the moment when the one says the dress looks awful, and the other just casually says, "That's because it's on you, dear." I was like, "Holy <laughs> shit, savage!" <laughs> yeah, they're fucking. They're brutal, That's man. Fucking brutal. Like, like they're fucking horrible. I was like, I'm all for it. Like the the fa- yeah. the fairies are brutal to each other, and like Maleficent's like this awesome villain. Like I don't care about Sleeping Beauty and Philip. The horse is per- fairly entertaining as the uh, predecessor to my favorite horse of all time who we'll talk about shortly. <laughs> but like, yeah. other than that, like the main characters, I'm like, I don't care about these people. 
Like, yeah, well, yeah. it's weird to call even call him the breeding pair the main character. The breeding pair. <laughs> like, oh god, are we down that rabbit hole? Are we that far yeah. down the podcast rabbit hole? I mean, we have I, a gay I, guy on the podcast it's, who's it's woke calling straight couples a breeding pair. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what, what what else are they? But like, uh, like the plot device. Well, like, it's an arranged it, marriage, and it's creepy as fuck. Let's be honest. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. <laughs> like they bring they bring this like six year old in and be like. This is the woman you're gonna fuck in 18 years or less. 16, Who the fuck knows? 16. Yeah, she 16. said she was 16. All right, that's like that was something that I caught and it, right up into Tangled, where she all was, three of these movies they're all getting married at 16. I'm like, there's a problem here. Also, to, to dudes that are like probably a good 10 years older than them, minimum like in their 20s. Like yeah. Eric in the next movie's got to be like 25, right? Like he's been a prince. Like yeah. he's like kind of been the king of that land for a while. Like yeah. they like yeah. So he's been around for a while and now he's going to yeah. scoop up this teenage girl. You know, yeah. one of my favorite lines in Sleeping Beauty is when Philip is like, it's the 14th century. <laughs> Things are different now. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, we're progressive. Like, yeah, this is like 1959, like, you know, getting into the beginning of the Mad Men era yeah. and stuff like that. Like we're. Oh boy, that was a weird moment, <laughs> and it, it, it reads extra weird now. Yeah, in sixty years later. Six years later. What was it? But that, the thing is, they're still they they did the same plot in in a movie in two thousand and seven. Like the same fucking thing happened at the end of Tangled. So like two thousand like they sorry two thousand ten whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they, it's not like they learned our lesson. They still did exactly. She's still a fucking high school student. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, I get yeah. it. Different fucking time period, like different moral, but like, wow. Yeah, at some point, like they just need to do a Disney movie where the princess is taller than the prince, like yeah. older than the prince. You know, like just fucking flip that script. We're ready for that. Yeah, it's been a long time. Honestly, coming, but you know what would be nice if she was fucking able to vote. Like, I think like, <laughs> yeah, like if she could buy a pack of cigarettes. I mean, not Disney because you don't have to buy a pack of cigarettes in Disney. But like, if she could go to the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the problem that's the problem though is that the. Disney princesses are a brand now. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about these three movies because like the Disney princess hasn't really like it's evolved in a lot of, in like the individual characters are a lot more distinct. Like if you compare Aurora to Rapunzel, like the amount of character depth and nuance is like night and day. But when it comes down to the archetype itself, it hasn't really changed. No, that not at all. No. Like it's like Aurora and Rapunzel are basically interchangeable. Like if you put gave Aurora like maybe more than fucking ten spoken lines in the movie, yeah. then she might have like. But it, yeah, I think that's also in part because of your choices of movies. You look one movie before Tangled at the movie that probably really started the current like the most recent sort of renaissance of Disney movies. You look at Princess and the Frog. That's one that definitely <laughs> flips sort of the damsel in distress trope. On, yeah. on its head but it was a middling success unfortunately well, because of a lot of different politics but it was also not a great movie it was a middling success but it's had a lasting impact tiana is all over the parks now and stuff like that like she is one of the more popular princesses now because all these little black girls have somebody they can look up to and say she looks like me i'm a disney princess and that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And like uh, that being said, the uh, like the vocal performance in the Princess and the Frog was amazing. I one of the yeah. songs I still play for kids is almost there, yeah. and they they love that too. But yeah, the archetype has shifted 
to a pretty strong degree, like Tiana, Elsa, and Anna, <laughs> Rapunzel. I was, what, was the, what was the one? Oh man, I just watched one of these movies last year. Uh, oh my god, no, it was a CG one, but it was a it wasn't a Pixar. Brave? Nope. No, Brace Pixar. Nope. Oh, the one with the rock, Moana. I watched Moana. Oh, Moana. Moana. Moana, DM. Uh, yeah, yeah, Moana yeah, did a Moana. good take on the princess too. Yeah, like she was. She was a little yeah. different. Like I think that's why when I got back to Tangled, I was like, huh, this feels a little regressive because I had just watched Moana and it probably hadn't obviously hadn't sparked my imagination that much. But like I had just watched one of these and was like, oh, that was pretty progressive compared yeah. to what like what I was used to, I guess, from these movies. So, and I only watched that movie because the rocks in it. No, I so. loved Moana compared to Tangled. Yeah. Well, it's. I think it speaks to the lasting impact of Sleeping Beauty that, like, even now, there are girls in Korea who, when they take their English name, they often take a Disney princess name because the, the brand is so big here. Oh, wow. And Aurora is a popular pick. I've had an Aurora in my class almost every year that I've been huh, in Korea. Huh. You know, like, it's, uh, she's still, as, again, aesthetically, because she's, like, the, the yeah, blonde princess totally classic. Yeah. And she, and they force her into the pink dress, which we're going to talk about. I hate that. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. But that being said, I want to talk a little bit about like, Sleeping Beauty is a really weird movie because like you said, the main characters are not the prince and princess. It is very much good fairies, fairies against and left, yeah. yeah. In this magical war against each other. And they're using these two lovers as kind of pawns in a larger game. And the I don't proxy think war. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, and I, I'm not sure that this is intentional on the part of the story storytellers at all. It just ends up... In the middle of the Korean War? Proxy War wouldn't be something that they would be thinking about <laughs> in 1959? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But I'm, not, being, I'm not trying to turn Sleeping Beauty into political allegory, but, you know, it's right, there, right, I guess, if you want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So, but that being said, it did manage to bring out these, like you said, the, the most interesting characters in the story. And the best Disney villain who is still the ur villain of Disney Maleficent, who is like the, the flagship, like Disney villains, like Disney princesses is its own breakaway franchise Brian, yeah. and Maleficent and Maleficent is the top dog in the Disney villains. She's like, period. The herself, She's up there, yeah. like, how could she not be like, yeah. And that is largely due to like, first of all, her character design is amazing. And second of all, um, Eleanor Audley's performance. Oh, that so, voice acting is fucking phenomenal. I still get chills when she does the incantation for the forest of thorns, when she's just like, mm -hmm. she has so much gravitas in her voice that every line she utters just gives me a little bit of a charge. I just yeah. like the voice acting front to back is amazing. Like Mary Costa, her operatic singing, like this is her post-opera training singing as Aurora is incredible. I love Prince Philip and Once Upon a Dream is still one of my favorite Disney songs. And yet the only Disney song or memorable Disney song from this movie. Yeah, the music was a weird piecemeal adaptation of the Tchaikovsky ballet and they yeah. turned these into more like digestible pop songs like even the theme that you tend to associate with Maleficent with the, a lot of the clarinet is put the Puss in Boots um, dance sequence yeah. in the ballet yeah and I've seen the ballet but the the doo 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 yeah 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 it's not associated yeah. with the Maleficent analog which is Carabas in the the ballet so I think it shows really good artistic and aesthetic choices throughout the film, like in the music, in the voice acting, in the animation, everything just looks so beautiful that I don't really care 
about the story that much, which could is to its detriment, <laughs> but it's still incredibly rewatchable. It is a little bit, yeah, I'll agree. It's a little bit substance over style or style over substance in some in some points for sure. Yeah, but but I agree. Like with Maleficent, that uh, that musical cue in particular. Well, there there was one musical cue and reveal of her that actually made me jump, even though I've watched this dozens of times. Which is when she shows up at the cottage after she finds out that that's where Aurora is being kept. And at first you see just her eyes. Yeah. yeah. In her yellow eyes in the shadows. And then you get that creepy music you beat. Like that actually made me jump a little bit. And I was like, whoa, like that's to make me a fucking 37 year old, like jaded as fuck dude jump yeah. at a Disney movie that yeah. shows lasting impact and power. Yeah. You should be super familiar with that transition, Tim, because you saw it 500,000 times during the Batman animated series. Because they basically use that cue to introduce Batman oh, yeah. in every episode because it's like the most effective way to yeah. introduce a character that way. Where like the eyes just fucking pop open and you're like, oh shit, yeah. there's somebody in the room with me. I am yeah. fucked. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. going to die. And their eyes are glowing. Yeah. For oh, some that, reason. That's for the best because I shit myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because there's eyes in the dark looking at me. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And for, for any uh, Disney Parks fans, that voice actress that uh, played Maleficent also does the voice of Leota, the seance, the psychic, oh, okay. the medium. Yeah. In uh, the Haunted Mansion, whose head is in the crystal ball. Yeah. And she's also the wicked stepmother, Lady Tremaine, in Cinderella. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But the two scenes about Maleficent that I want to bring up first of all like yeah the christening scene like she's doing all of this just because she didn't get an invite to a party like that's like just her motivation <laughs> is fantastic petty, petty af yeah <laughs> we're gonna talk about the tactical fucking deficit of prince is it philip the king what's the guy's fucking king's name oh king Stephen yeah prince philip and king hubert and oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. if you know there's an evil queen out there who can fuck your daughter up maybe just invite her if she's gonna get all spiteful just, yeah, just bring her by you know you know, maybe just we're going to talk about that. Yeah, because I feel like there's another protagonist of one of these other movies. Yeah, who made right. that mistake. <laughs> but there's also like that scene at the end, which is just before like the final escape to the castle, which I want to talk about, too. But where Maleficent is outlining yeah. her uh, outlining her plan to leave Philip in the dungeon until he's old and gray and flaccid and let him go kiss Aurora to break the curse, which is just like, it's so cruel. So arch. Yeah. And she delivers this in perfectly perfect heroic couplets and stopped poetry, which I always like when the film gets really serious, it switches into this kind of poetic couplet, like Shakespearean thing that they do, which I, I really like as like someone who studied Shakespeare, like the usually the upper class uh, characters speak in iambic pentameter and the lower class characters speak pretty normally, but it's always the fairies who get these like poetic couplet monologues, particularly Meriwether and Maleficent. So she get, she does, she outlines her evil plan. You're not going to, I'll let you go when it, you're way too old to do anything about this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> And then starts the escape from Maleficent's castle. That entire scene from beginning to end, from when they get re- he, uh, Prince Philip gets released to the point where he kills Maleficent, is a masterpiece in animation. I that oh, is yeah. like yeah, I think they must have fucking killed some. Man. There's some. There's got to be some dead animators buried under Disney <laughs> when they were working oh, on that because that gorgeous. is and like every frame is a piece of art. It's pretty crazy when you go through it. I was able. And this is the shit that I was doing with these movies because, like, I'm watching them and I'm like, yeah, fine, great. I've seen this 500 million times. But, like, I'm going to sit here and look at the yeah. art of it. And, man, I was freeze framing. Like, 
the painting in the background stuff, there is a guy who specifically painted every background in uh, Sleeping Beauty, like oil painted every yeah. background for the movie. And we should find his name, but neither here nor there. It just adds to the level of detail in this movie that you don't get in any of the other movies uh, a yeah. lot of the time. But like that whole sequence, yeah, that's just like that frenetic, super rotoscoped, super crisp, everything snappy. Like, man, they must have spent all the money on that sequence because it looks really yeah. good. Um, either that or... And this is pre like sending your animation to Korea. So like they were whipping Americans to get this stuff to look good. So it, there it yeah. is. <laughs> from the music to the animation to the voice acting in that scene, particularly from Maleficent and Flora gets most of the speaking parts in that. Everything is just yeah. timed perfectly. The emotional beats are excellent. Like everything just flows so well. And when Meriwether like goes after the crow and turns it to stone is such a satisfying moment. It's a great running gag through the movie where Meriwether is the one to clean up the last bit of garbage at the end of three different scenes. And this is the the last one where she does it, where the magic that they use is only supposed to make people happy. And she says it a throwaway line earlier, that would make me happy. And then she goes off and fucking turns the crow into stone because it's bugging the shit out of her because it won't shut up. (laughs) It's such a good moment in this series of good moments. And I'm just like, they threw just that tiny little bit of humor in this huge epic battle scene. And yeah, yeah, I just love every single second of that, especially. And of course, Maleficent's transformation to a fucking dragon, which is just cool. All the powers. Paul, when you do get to go to Disney world or Disneyland, you actually get to see like a life-size version of that Maleficent dragon at, uh, at Fantasmic at one of their nighttime shows. Oh my God. I want it so bad. (laughs) I want it. It's it's huge and really impressive. And it breathes fire and sets the fucking lake on fire in front of the stage. See, I would go see that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a Mickey that she's fighting. That's so cool. She has like, yeah. So yeah, Sleeping Beauty overall, like I have, I could go on about Sleeping Beauty forever because there's so many little details in this film that are just amazing. But I don't want to do that because we've got two other movies to do. So let's do final thoughts. Okay, I'll I'll burn through my last things that I have to say then. Okay. One, I know it was a different time. I w- I would have like really liked to have gone to the- see a movie like this back in the fifties, like going to the movies, big, like huge event and everything really theatrical, like the opening to sleeping beauty with the overture, mm-hmm. those like beautifully rendered opening credits, the book, the zoom on that, like gilded book. And then the illuminated yeah. pages and everything. Like I miss that. I wish that Disney would maybe go back and do that once in a while. as like an homage or something. I agree. If they do a Disney princess movie, even if it's not a princess movie, like uh, the, I love because the, they did that for most of the princess classic stuff like i think snow white cinderella snow white did all had the the opening with the the gilded illuminated manuscript thing and yeah i like that i miss it yeah there's a couple things that maybe didn't age super well for me one the blessings of the fairies get pretty (laughs) fucking trippy and weird like that's that's some lsd shit in there those don't really hold up for me (laughs) now to be fair i was high as fuck when i watched this and like (laughs) Like this movie's awesome when you're. Yeah. <laughs> it is a fucking sight to behold when you are baked. It was fun, especially those sequences. Like flowers start bending and shit. I was like, oh shit, yeah. I forgot about this stuff. I'm They're doing some weird 3D projection shit. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to have a freak out in a second. There it yeah. is. And the the gifts themselves are like, I will give the gift of beauty and the gift of song. And feel, and like Mary Weather's like, well, she's not gonna die. 
Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Because it's yeah. not like, no, no political savvy. I give her the gift <laughs> of like, you know, negotiation. No, it's mostly just like, she'll be pretty and she's going to sing nice. And that's going to be great. Which is, you know, like the Disney princess brand in a nutshell. So, you know, she's yeah. sings well, is pretty and is immortal, I guess. So, yeah. or at least not going to die. Yeah. And then the other thing that the fairies do that's kind of fucked up to me is like, they just like put the entire kingdom into a coma without anybody's consent. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) We'll just do this. This is definitely not an abuse of our powers. Yeah. That is actually a weird holdover from the original, one of the original versions of the fairy tale. I don't know if it's the Perot version. It's the the original, original actually, where like everybody's in a coma for a century before. Yeah. yeah, he wakes her, or yeah. he discovers the kingdom and wakes her up, and like, yeah, starts life there. It's it's a weird. Yeah, we well, can talk, you, know, you want to talk about the originals, like Little Mermaid. Uh, oh boy, I jump down that yeah, I mean, rabbit hole. I, yeah, I did do research on the original because I had I have studied children's literature in my university courses previously, so I did a lot of this with this kind of stuff. But like, yeah, the hundred year coma for the whole kingdom thing. A lot of this stuff gets included just because it is a stylistic choice that they lift from the original tale and they want to pay homage to it without actually so let's put the whole kingdom to sleep thing and like and it's their so they, nobody notices we fucked up basically yeah. the whole conceit of them like why didn't they just wait an extra day to bring aurora and keep her hidden for like a couple more days until the time elapsed is yeah. a hot thing that you know what you just have to bury in the back of your mind and not think about it because if they had just waited a couple of days and say, hey, we're going to celebrate your birthday the day after. Sorry. It's okay. But- Wait till we get to the next movie. We'll talk fucking plot holes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of that. But yeah, I mean, this movie is like one tonal shift away from straight up horror. Yeah. 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 It's a sophisticated movie that's kind of bogged down by some of like it wanted to be family friendly. Kind of in the same way Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney version one, was like, there's like yeah. these super serious tonal moments. And then they have like, so pretty, like I laughed at a lot of this parts in Sleepy Beauty where like the fairies are sniping at each other. Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. Or uh, like Maleficent's tantrum when uh, her she finds out her minions have been looking for a baby for 16 yeah, years. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because yeah. they don't realize that. Yeah. Uh, and she just loses her shit on them. Yeah. I, I laughed. Yeah, well, I still get a kick out of the whole sequence where Florifauna and Meriwether are trying to make the dress and the cake without magic. And yeah. she's like, oh, fold in the eggs. And she just puts the whole oh, egg yeah, in yeah, and yeah. holds the dough over on them and cracks the eggs and yeah. her, the, the stunned look on her face. And... Yeah, it'll stiffen once it's baked and she's putting she's already putting the candles on it. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> or like the entire King Stephen King Hubert scene is like, it's kind of pointless. And it's like, I think it's there to pad time. And the way that they structure the scenes, I, I we haven't talked about it, but it's like they live in one scene for a really long time and they don't cut between things very often in this movie. And so you mm-hmm. live with that King Hubert, King Stefan scene for like a solid five or six minutes. And it's just kind of like they're, these two old fucking dudes are like getting drunk and bitching each other out. And then they get drunk and everything's fine. While the minstrel is stealing their wine <laughs> and get it, getting their cast offs and everything. Let me tell you, that would not pass the censors in 2019. <laughs> like, no <laughs> fucking way. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah. Anyway. I just, I wish that people would take more artistic, ri- well, I guess you can say, like, maybe Moana did, because it was really stylized, but, like, a- the next couple movies that we're going to talk about did not really take the same sort of artistic risks as Sleeping Beauty to any extent, 
and it shows. Yeah, for sure. Um, so shall we move on to the next or final thoughts on Sleeping Beauty first? Mark? Oz is still like my favorite. Like, yeah, we talked about it at the beginning. It's my favorite Disney movie, probably out of these animated ones. It's the one that I can actually rewatch still, which I found out the hard way because when I rewatched the one that we were about to talk about. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So like Sleeping Beauty is great. And as an animation like nerd, it's like it's kind of a big deal historically in that kind of sphere. So uh, I had a good time. I always have a good time going back and kind of like bombing through it again, especially that that end sequence is just like. That's the bee's knees right there. Mm. It's good times. All that green flame. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's iconic. All that hand-drawn yeah. green flame, too. That shit's fucking tough to draw properly. So, yeah. 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 A lot of rotoscoping going on in yeah. that thing. A lot of rotoscoping. <laughs> yeah. Final thoughts? Yeah, I think it's just, it's visually maybe, it, it might visually be the best Disney movie overall. It's one of the only, like, there are a lot of these Disney movies that, like, I was watching some of these while I was working and stuff and was just like, it was catching my attention in terms of the audio but i wasn't really feeling like compelled like i needed to watch every frame of it whereas with sleeping beauty like i would catch myself being like oh man that's really pretty like back and forth between my work and shit like that and it was a lot more visually distracting which i think just speaks to the strength of it but has its issues some parts of it have not aged well but visually spectacular yeah absolutely wasn't initially particularly successful in its initial theatrical run because a lot of people compared it that it was too similar to snow white and i think Mm -hmm. that it is far superior to snow white even though snow white was the first and it was a big experiment overall and so snow white certainly deserves its place in you know the pantheon of disney films but yeah i love sleeping beauty and i think it's a testament to the strength of its aesthetic that it's still so popular to this day and that you know maleficent is still even in kingdom hearts is the main villain among the disney villains not the squaresoft villains and the enchanted dominion uh, the kingdom of sleeping beauty has been featured pretty prominently in birth by sleep so yeah still a great film love it to death so let's move on to one that might seems to not have aged quite as well <laughs> which is The Little Mermaid, which kicked off the Disney Renaissance and the Roger and Clements domination of the box office in the early 90s. So Little Mermaid, guys, first thoughts. Okay, uh, I'm going to start because I, my first thought is completely unrelated. It's a total tangent. Total tangent. We, Paul and I talked about it. So I just finished playing God of War. And like before I played God of War, I kind of watched some videos of God of War 3. And like, do you remember? Did you play God of War 3, Paul? Yes, yes, I did. You remember how Poseidon dies at the beginning of God of War 3, Paul? Uh, yeah, I remember how Poseidon dies yeah. in God of War So at the beginning <laughs> of God of War 3, uh, Kratos takes out Poseidon's eyes. And like you are physically responsible for that button prompt happening because you watch his thumbs <laughs> go into the camera. You're in first person mode. So I start watching fucking Little Mermaid and all of my brain is telling me is like King Triton kind of looks a lot like Poseidon and you just watch Poseidon get his eyeballs plucked out by Kratos <laughs> a week ago. So all I could picture was King Triton just getting assaulted by fucking Kratos and then getting his eyes plucked out. And I was like, you know what? After he treats Ariel like shit in the middle of the movie, I was happy. I would have been happy for Kratos to come in and just pop his fucking eyeballs out. So there you go. Anyway. Uh, yeah, this movie was rough. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> and had, I believe the, Equally the short is the shortest runtime out of the the three movies we watched. I think it was, and yet it felt eternal. So interesting. No, this is eighty three minutes. Sleeping Beauty, Beauty was shorter. Yeah, Sleeping Beauty shorter. Oh, interesting. Because this one felt real long. Sleeping Beauty doesn't feel long. 
this one felt like. Tim, what were your first thoughts on rewatching The Little Mermaid? See, this one's tough for me. This is Alicia's favorite Disney movie of all time. So the door's close to your office, right? So she can't hear you while you trash it? Yeah, it is. Good. She sat down and watched the last bit with me, and I trashed a little bit, and so I'm sleeping on the couch right now. Attaboy. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, musically, I think this is one of the best Disney movies ever. The musical numbers in it are amazing. It has some fucking glaring story issues, has an amazing villain. And has middling animation, better animation than the movies that had come before, like directly before it. But by today's standards or by classic Disney standards, not great, especially like visually, like the background art and stuff like that. When you put it up against like Sleeping Beauty, I'm like this. I'm not visually engaged in this. at all. It's very flat. I was actually kind of disappointed. Like that was the one thing I wanted to, I should have brought up at the top as opposed to talking about Kratos again, because you know, <laughs> I have a problem, but like, yeah, this movie's super flat and like the backgrounds aren't, I mean, I get that they're underwater. So like, they're going to have that blue kind of thing going on a lot, but like, there's just not a lot happening a lot of the time. What was the, yeah. it's immediate predecessor. Like what, Came before it. Oliver and Company, Great Mouse Detective. I'm going backwards in time here. The Black Cauldron, which we shall not speak Uh, any more of. So, yeah, yeah, that was like the Dark Ages. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, The Great Mouse Detective was directed by the same people and made enough money that it was a Katzenberg was like, you you two guys can go do Little Mermaid. They wanted to do Treasure Planet. And Katzenberg was like, sounds fucking terrible. (laughs) <laughs> and he was right. Yeah, it kind of turned out that way when they actually got to do that movie too, right? Like that movie sucked. Yeah. He made them do this Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and Hercules. Before, yeah. Before they were allowed to do Treasure Planet. And yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Aladdin, but yeah. I'd be curious to go back and like watch Aladdin and Lion King now because I feel like those probably may have aged better than this one has. But like I had a real yeah. hard time sitting mm-hmm. through this yeah. one because like I don't like. With the exception of Ursula, like, I, who gives a shit about any of these characters? Like, <laughs> the, it's kind of the opposite problem that people have with Marvel movies now, where like people love the heroes in the Marvel movies, but the villains are like, who? You know, like Ronan or yeah. what? Like who? But yeah. uh, who? Who was the the bad guy in Thor: The Dark World? Chris Eccleston, actually. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But no one really, no one really remembers. Only Myers, and it's kind of like we everyone. Everyone remembers Ariel and Eric from The Little Mermaid, but the standout character is the villain. And that happened, like, kind of happened in Aladdin, although the genie and Far are both pretty awesome. In Hercules, Hades, obviously, unfortunately, James Woods is a piece of shit, but his character was, like, the standout in Hercules. This kind of restarted the Disney villains as their own franchise kind of thing. And Ursula being so fucking awesome was one of the reasons that it kind of took off, I guess. Musically, this movie is amazing. Poor Unfortunate Souls is one of the best villain songs. I mean, that Calypso, that Calypso like, Under the Sea thing, even I was like, oh, God, I still, I know this song, like, the back of my hand. Like, I know every word. Yeah, I know (laughs) all the words of this song. Fucking Part of the World, Under the Sea, Le Poisson, Kiss the Girl. Which actually made me laugh out loud when I was, like, because I was kind of, watching it quietly with subtitles while I was doing my workout. And I was reading what he actually, because I didn't, last time I watched this movie in full, I was probably pretty young. And I watching it with the, the lyrics 
and seeing what he, he says, it's so yeah, it's disgustingly visceral yeah. and so funny. Yeah, that sequence is actually my favorite sequence in the movie. The uh, the slapsticky like Sebastian versus the chef sequence because it's the most visually interesting sequence in the movie that isn't the conclusion. Like it's it so is. like frenetic and stuff. I'm like, oh, this is fun. This feels like a maybe more like a Looney Tunes than like a Disney movie. But I was like having fun. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. a fun little bit. I'm yeah. having fun with this bit. And then the bit ended, and I was like, ah, shit. Now they're gonna go on a date. Fuck. <laughs> and Chef Louis is, I would say, maybe one of, if not the best designed character in the movie. Yeah. Maybe, maybe with the exception of like of Ursula. Ursula's pretty good. I like Ursula's yeah. design too. Yeah. yeah. Ursula's design is based off of the drag queen Divine from the yep. John Waters films, yep. Flamingo et, et al. Wasn't it so, supposed to be played by that drag queen too who died before the movie? No, originally it was supposed to be played by Elaine Stritch, who we know as Jack Donaghy's mother. Oh my god, that would have been uh, amazing. <laughs> oh yeah. But because of, she was a total bitch on set and, and due to alcoholism, apparently as well. At least that's what the Wikipedia article said. I looked it up. I'll and, I mean, I can believe it from her character on 30 yeah. Rock, though. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. She was asked to leave, and Pat Carroll ended up getting nice. the, the role. Who was, She had been, like, a TV actress for a really long time. And I think she fucking nailed oh, it. Yeah. Because Poor Unfortunate Soul. Destroyed just, it. God, just, like, you say that the, the kitchen sequence is fucking amazing, and it is so much fun in that Looney Tunes way. But if, like, the Poor Unfortunate Souls, the entire thing is so good and the way that yeah. the lighting works with like the glowing gold and like all of the like the, the dark greens and purples and stuff like that just like i really love the the ambiance that they created with that full number i gotta go back and look at the rip i i watched because i feel like this whole everything looked felt really muddy to me like mm. it was really dull and i'm like I, I don't remember the movie being like so like yeah it didn't it didn't hold up well for me in yeah, hd at I all like, this, i feel like it, it's, it feels yeah. really muddy everything's dark and kind of gloomy i'm like i don't remember it being like that i remember it like because I remember us going to see it in the theater. I remember mom and dad like dragging us to see this, or well, taking you guys and me getting dragged mm-hmm. as a, a side effect of that. But like, and it being like way <laughs> like I just remember these being way more vibrant than what I saw when I watched it this time. And like I don't know, Sleeping Beauty looked like it had been cleaned up yeah. and popped really nice. But like the the rip I got of uh, Little Mermaid was like it's real brown mine was okay I, like I remember I was watching the Under the Sea sequence okay. and that was like colorful and fun and vibrant, but. This movie, in spite of the fact that it has good moments, overall, it's such a frustrating watch. Holy and fuck. Like, yeah. When you, like, you're rooting for the bad guy until she kicks the dog in the face, and then you're kind of yeah. like, well, now I don't like Basically. anybody. <laughs> it's just kind of like that scene where she's walking down the aisle and it's like she like takes her fucking pump out and nails the dog in the face with the whole, like, the dog whimpering for her little for Max. Like, yeah, poor Max. Max was one of the uh, best animated characters in the fucking movie. Uh, they, they have a real That's fondness. I, f- I feel like there's always one guy at Disney who's just like, I just do animals real well. Like, just let me do animals real well. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to talk about the guy yeah. who CGI'd fucking Maximus, my new patron saint. And, like, <laughs> he did a fucking bang-up job there, too. But, yeah. Did you guys find that the proportions of the characters were weird? Like, I remember that scene where, like, Ariel's up on the rock at the end of Act 1, and she's singing after she saved Eric. Yeah. And she's, like, like rail thin. And I know she's supposed to be 16 and stuff, but, like, there's something about her proportions that are, like, sickly and... I don't know. My problem with that scene is that the memes have spoiled it for me. Now, every time I see that scene, I see, like, a caption that says, like, when he hit that spot just right. 
and she's got all the water oh, yeah. splashing up behind her and shit like that. Oh god. <laughs> or like when that dick just so good and shit like or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, god. yeah. Or um do you guys remember hipster Ariel? Yeah. That meme was a thing for a yeah. while. Stop liking yeah. the things that I like. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of like so, weird yeah. little animation hiccups that were going on in this. But yes, yeah. people have always had massive issues with Ariel's proportions in particular. I never, I did not notice it until this rewatch where I was just like, cause it, it never really come up in my, my, my brain juice before, but this time I was just kind of, when she was up on the rock, there was just like, she was so tiny. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, it was just weird to look at. Did you actually kind of look at her when did they have her standing up? She looks like a gray. She, her head's so big, like so big. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a Disney, like it's a cartooning yeah. proportional thing that they do. It's, Makes them look more innocent and this, that, and the other yeah. thing. And that's kind of the point. Um, it's weird. It's well, weird when they bigger eyes and yeah, when they spend half the movie also sexualizing her and then like sometimes not, it makes for a very confusing back and forth with the character because you're getting a certain visual information and then you're getting yeah. something else from the story. And it's kind of like, well, what am I supposed to be thinking about this character? So it's a little weird, but you know, yeah. Well, let's talk about that story because that's what I wanted to touch on. Because like the, a lot of people have been, have given Ariel a lot of shit for giving up her entire fucking sea kingdom for uh, at a chance at this kind of this guy who's like, Daddy, I love I him. Know, like, what? Why? I saw him one time. Why? And he made my fins weird. Yeah, because he was playing the flute, you know, because band geeks. You know, like no, who doesn't love a flautist? Yeah, I mean, Jethro Tull right now is so angry at you, like uh, he's just so fucking annoyed at you. You know what I mean? Just like annoyed. (laughs) My current pop R and B love Lizzo. She plays the jazz flute, and like she was a band geek, and I love her. But like, no, no, no girl is gonna look at this guy. I don't know. A lot of people love Ariel and Eric. Like, she's the favorite Disney princess of a lot of girls. I mean, Alicia apparently likes this movie yeah. quite a lot and part of your world is an amazing song i'll get, give you that like the um jody benson's performance on that song is still fucking amazing and the animation on ariel and part of your world i want to call out to her like they do a really good job like capturing capturing emotion and stuff like that with ariel in that yeah. and the way yeah. her hair moves yeah there's a lot it, there's some great really there's some great animation in that sequence in particular yeah it's too bad it's so like inconsistent throughout the movie we're like that one looks great mm-hmm. and the next scene yeah. she looks like a goddamn garden troll so it's interesting <laughs> yeah it's just and the entire conceit of the movie of like her wanting to be on the surface and like i get what i get what they're going for and it's just kind of like do you though like what's the theme can you explain the theme in this movie to me because i didn't fucking get it because at first i was like is it about growing up or is it about letting your kids go? Or is it about not trusting vaguely <laughs> ethnic people with fish, like tentacles? Like, I don't, I'm not really sure what the whole fucking, like, Aesop of this movie yeah. is supposed to be. Well, the thing is, is, like, you're supposed to follow, it's following your heart kind of thing. It's like, you you can innately know where you belong in the world, and nothing will hold you back from oh, that kind of shit. Oh, Disney. Yeah. And, eat a dick. And Just eat a bag of dicks, Disney. Yeah, and to be I fair, like, <laughs> Triton does have his, like, moment where he's like, yeah, I kind of have to let her go, because she doesn't seem to want to let this whole being a human thing go, even though I've got an entire fucking kingdom of the sea. Like, the entire Atlantic Ocean belongs to us but she wants this kind of 
fucking seaside shack of a kingdom, yeah. whatever. She's the like, spoiled rich girl that can't be happy with like the magnificent life that's been provided for her. I mean, I understand being dissatisfied and uprooting your life and moving uh, like pretty far out, <laughs> even even in <laughs> I enjoyed living. And still, I find Ariel completely insufferable in a lot of occasions <laughs> because, like, she, like her, she gives up her, like, her crowning glory, her obvious talent of singing and her voice that she apparently really enjoys singing. So she's willing. Does she though? Because she totally fucking like bailed on that schedule, then yeah. fucking well, bounced. Well, that's because her human fangirling got in the way of her. Because <laughs> uh, she's a she's a fangirl. She is a human it's movies. Fangirl. She was a mess, kid. This movie's a mess. <laughs> it, is a, it is. And like, but why was it so successful? I mean, it Ursula. made hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like for us, it's Ursula, but people love Ariel. Like she's, she is like one of the main Disney princesses in the brand. Like when it comes, like. She's fun though, right? Like she's the redhead firebrand. So she's the fun character. Like you want her to succeed because she's just like plucky and go get him attitude. So you're like, this totally like exactly what a Disney character is supposed to be. Does it make sense? Is she a complete ninny? Yes, absolutely. She's an idiot, but you still want her to succeed because she's the cute redhead princess. It's almost like Disney has programmed you to want her to succeed. (laughs) I think a lot of it too, is just like the fact that she is a mermaid. And so a lot of little girls were like, that's so cool. I want to be a mermaid. I love swimming. I love the beach. And so I think there, I think that went a long way too. Yeah. Definitely. I also just want to shut up the uh, the after hours, the cracked after hours, where they explain like what their wedding light would be like, where she probably <laughs> thinks that she gets to lay eggs and then he gets to crop dust them. And, yeah, like, and he, he has to jerk off yeah, all over them. Where he has to explain <laughs> to her that actually no, like he has to insert and stuff like that. Like it's it's a it's a weird sex paradigm they're gonna have to walk through. You know what I mean? It's gonna be a <laughs> fucked up conversation that first time. What what if the Little Mermaid had top half fishmen instead of bottom half fishmen the entire time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because you know There's what? That. Then you get into fish tits, and then you got to worry about that. You know what I mean? Uh, like yeah. Then you're into Zelda territory where you're like, do you put the nipples on them or not? Like I don't really know anymore. Yeah. Like it gets, starts getting weird. <laughs> like you don't want to get down. This is Disney. We don't want to go down that road, right? Like just don't want to go down there. So there are questions yeah. that were never meant to be asked. Exactly. But- Rule 34 dictates that people answered those questions anyway. So, yeah. (laughs) My other big issues here, one is King Triton as, like, the overprotective, controlling, quick-to-anger alpha male father. Like, that doesn't play real well in 2019. Like, that's, he's the dad that had, like, you know, has a shirt that's, like, you know, date my daughter, I've got a shotgun or whatever kind of bullshit. Yeah, it's a great, it's a weird his whole relationship with Ariel is particularly weird and it's got like, it's got vibes that I don't know. No. There, there's a case to be made that he's one of, if not the main villain in the piece. Like if he'd just fucking given her legs when, which he can obviously do. Cause he fucking does it at the end. If he'd just given her legs at the start, then none, no peril, no, you know, no, fuck. Yeah. like Ursula, no drama. I, I like that there, like, we get a little bit of Ursula's backstory. Like, she used to be part of the Triton Kingdom the and the, yeah. the court, and they kicked her out for being too awesome, I guess. Like, I don't know what. Like, <laughs> drag queens are fucking. Awesome. You know, she got too hammered or something, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's not into big girls. So, like, I feel like she got handsy with somebody, and like, they were yeah, like, we gotta cast you somebody. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, maybe that was it. Was just like a big hentai moment in the corner. <laughs> and she got yeah, tentacly. She got tentacly, and but um, yeah, she's like the most delightful thing on screen. Whenever she's on there, transforming her into a human for even that ten minutes that she was a person was too much because I just wanted her to go back to being fucking drag queen octopus lady again. But yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the other major issue I have with this movie is the gaping fucking plot hole of illiteracy. Like, if Ariel's obviously fucking literate, well, you, I guess there's an argument to be made either way. Either she's illiterate and she didn't even bother reading the fucking contract that Ursula had her sign, and that's why she can't, like, write out, my name is Ariel, we met before, I lost my voice, end of story. <laughs> kiss me and i can get my voice back yeah yeah (laughs) willing suspension of disbelief is a necessity when it comes to disney princess movies period i mean like there are some are constructed better than others so you don't have to work so hard at it like with the little mermaid like there's a lot like ken Eric understands Sebastian when, like, does yeah. Sebastian speak English when he says Ariel? Her name is Ariel. Like, does he? Does Eric seems to understand that? And yeah. I'm just kind of. Like, so does Ariel not speak a special fish language? She just speaks English, yep. and they all speak English. Like, oh, sure. This is nitpicky <laughs> bullshit. I know. Like, it is kind of like you're just supposed to go along for the ride, and that's fine. But sometimes the ride is just kind of like is really great. Like, I love the Kiss the Girl sequence. I love, even though it's kind of dumb, uh, I like the song yeah. a lot. And I love For Unfortunate Souls. And, part of, like, eh, the musical sequences in general are good, in my I opinion. I think they're the best part of this movie for me. Yeah. And then, like, the, the stuff that's in between just kind of holds those together until the final battle where <laughs> Prince Eric drives a ship straight <laughs> Sunken into Earthwood fucking solar plexus and kills her outright (laughs) and this is a children's movie and this happened like god of war obviously was very much inspired by this film because like this is kratos kill 2 we've got referenced now tonight so because like the disney villain turning into a giant thing was you know maleficent originated and perfected the damn thing like let's be real but ursula's transformation into giant octopus lady with the crown was like pretty cool and that but it's pretty gruesome to get it fucking impaled by an entire like merchant ship so (laughs) and this was definitely a movie geared more towards children than sleeping beauty was by a long shot but i guess the, the lesson is if you turn into a giant monster don't get stabbed in the gullet. That's yeah. it for you. Because don't also ra- uh, raise a bunch of sunken, jagged, pointy ships from the depths and piss yeah, off a white man because that white man <laughs> is going to kill you. Yeah. Let, let's, let's not do that. And all the even if it looks super cool, you know, like you don't want to look pretty badass. I'll give them that much. That there were some janky moments in that that final scene, but I did oh, yeah. like the the bat the final battle at the end. Yeah, even though it was yeah. So final thoughts. Little Mermaid, Mark. I never need to see this movie ever again, and I'm very thankful for that because because <laughs> now you know, and knowing is half the battle. yeah. Basically, it was a tough sit for me. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, not my favorite Disney movie. Yeah, it hasn't aged super well for me, but I do still have a lot of appreciation for the music, like all the vocal numbers, even that like little sea shanty that is playing on Eric's ship the first time you see them. Like oh, I can yeah. recite that from memory. 
Like, yeah. so even the instrumentals are really memorable to me. We didn't even talk about like supporting cast too much, but like Buddy Hackett as Scuttle is genius yeah. casting. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, it's a mixed bag for me. And I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, especially when you put it up against Sleeping Beauty, it's nowhere near the visual spectacle and doesn't have the near the level of like risk taking, but it's got its own charm. Yeah. I mean, it is, I think that this was a big shift for like, it was definitely more of a kids movie than a family movie in the way that we think of Disney family movies versus kids movies. Like they're having Flounder and Sebastian and like, it was definitely a little bit more juvenile than Sleeping Beauty was. Well, see, and that's the thing, like, the side characters in Sleeping Beauty, well, I guess the main characters in Sleeping Beauty are much more like what I, like, I was more interested in those characters, like the fairy and, like, the fairies in Maleficent are more interesting. Yeah. And then, like, the leads, like, the leads in this movie, like, they're barely leads, like, they're so boring. And then the side characters don't have any of the charm that, like, they start really getting into, like, the side characters are going to be what the parents watch to get, like, the, the chuckle for them for enduring this 90 minutes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's kind of what they started to do. This was the one where I was like, oh, well, at least Sebastian's there. And I was like watching it. I'm like, he's really not as funny as I remember him being. So yeah. this is not working for me. <laughs> so, yeah. In spite of the fact that Samuel E. Wright does a wonderful job as Sebastian. He's great. Boy. Like, he does it great. And he sings really well. And he like, all of the stuff's great. It's just like the character doesn't, it kind of falls flat. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. He's just not as like, he's not as great a side character as what we're about to get to is what I'm trying to say. So can we please talk about Tangled? And he's a little minstrel showy. Yeah, there's Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Little Mermaid. I still like it. I would give it like a five out of, well, let's not do number, number ratings yet. But like, it's still, <laughs> it's still very watchable for me. Like, as Tim said, for the musical sequences and the stuff that holds it together, there's moments. But yeah, so let's move on to the progenitor of the now standard 3D Disney animation, Tangled, which is not called Tangled in Korea. It's called just called Rapunzel, but Disney likes their adjective. Well, it was supposed to be, yeah, it was supposed to be called Rapunzel everywhere for the longest time. And then Disney switched it up like like last minute. Yeah, they like their, their adjective movie titles, uh, Frozen, Tangled. Yeah. Anyway, so this is based on the Rapunzel myth with the long hair and stuff like that, starring Mandy Moore as the. <laughs> now we're getting into like uh, slightly higher profile actresses doing Disney princess stuff. Like some of them, not Moana, because I think she was new. Kristen Bell, though, in Frozen, for sure. Kristen Bell in Frozen and Adina yeah. Menzel yeah. as Elsa also had a pedigree on stage. But yeah, so Tangled is Tangled. So. Uh, Tim, how about you start? You start us off for first impressions. This is only the second time that I'd watched Tangled all the way through. First time was just a few months ago, and or a couple months ago, and this rewatch that I've been doing, or first time watch in some cases of all the Disney movies. It's a movie. It doesn't. It honestly doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, I don't find any of the characters particularly likable. All I right, Tim's kicked villain. off. Tim's kicked off the podcast for bad mouthing Maximus <laughs> indirectly. <laughs> Now let's start talking about how awesome Maximus is. And that's going to be the next 10 minutes of this podcast. Cause uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's just, and, and even like for being, oh, I guess this was the first fully CGI Disney movie then, huh? Well, yeah. non-Pixar uh, one. Yeah. Non-Pixar. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know that doesn't, Oh no, it wasn't wait, wait, no. Cause it was the first princess 
CGI movie. Yeah, because Ch- was Chicken Little. Chicken Little was before this, and Bolt was before this, and both of those were. Oh wait, was no Meet the Robinsons was. Oh, but that's not a princess movie. Yeah, first first princess CGI. And yeah, the, I don't know, animation just doesn't really hold up to me. I prefer it when they stick the CGI animation on like non-human characters. I think that hand-drawn works better for human characters. So it has its moments. I like some of the music and stuff, but not my favorite. How about you, Mark? What, what, let's, let's, let's start. The rest of this movie, I, I was like, I was fine. It was just totally like exactly what I was expecting a CGI Disney movie to be in 2010. What I was not expecting was to be introduced to this horse named Maximus, who is now my fucking spirit animal and is the greatest goddamn character that Disney has ever created. And I don't know why they keep making these stupid movies. They should just make Maximus movies now. Maximus (laughs) should kill Thanos. Maximus is life, guys. I don't get this. I don't get this fucking... Because there's, there's nothing Magnum. else in this movie for me to cling on to except for the badass horse who is basically Batman and like can <laughs> fucking fight swords and coordinate criminals <laughs> to come and rescue people and shit. This horse is incredibly badass. Like I was watching this movie and I'm like, Paul, this movie's kind of like, like a thing, right? Like it's fine. And it's like exactly what I expected. And I like Mandy Moore and stuff and Zachary Levy's doing his bit. And I don't like this character, but this horse is fucking baller shit. He's going to get his man. Like, I like this horse. I was in for the horse. So. And the way that they create the mannerisms of the horse to, like, mimic a dog dog as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which which I knew would appeal to Mark quite a lot because Mark is. I'm a dog guy. Yeah. The er er-dog lover of our family. Oh, yeah. I love my puppies. Yeah. Maximus was a really fun character and definitely one of the draws for this movie. I really like this movie a lot because I think that it just. Uh, when it comes to taking that princess narrative that they've done multiple times, I think it's the best one that they've done where I actually care about the grand story of it since Beauty and the Beast. Like the animated Beauty and the Beast. We will not talk about the live action. I was actually like watching it and was pretty... <laughs> I liked the character of Rapunzel in this movie a lot more than I thought I was yeah. going to. I found the Zachary Levy character mm-hmm. annoying. And I really thought that yeah. fucking... Flynn. Uh, I don't know what his name is. It doesn't matter what his name is. Maximus. <laughs> I thought Maximus should have put his fucking ass in jail. Max- Maximus is human. And I don't give a shit if Maximus is human or not. I, I was, I did, I will admit that I did ask Paul for a second if Disney was trying to get me on board with the idea of a horse with the princess. Because I really like Maximus too much. <laughs> and I think he should have got the princess at the end because he's basically the hero of the movie. That that goes into a whole different... Rapunzel is not a prize to be won. Yeah. Not a prize. <laughs> I'm just saying... To quote Princess I'm just Catherine. saying, if like if somebody's doing like the hard work to earn her respect, it's not him. It's fucking Maximus, because he's doing the hard work. You know what I mean? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, well... Maximus for president, guys, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Maximus is one of those attention-drawing characters. Like, Disney has mixed results with animal side characters. And Maximus is one of the few where I'm like, I'm on fully on board with it, because I thought he was actually really funny. Like his moments and the moment where like he's totally disarmed by Rapunzel when they yeah, first I love that. meet and she like totally I like she totally charms him and it's like yeah. it's just it's really, really cute and I totally buy it. I even love at the end when like him and Zachary Levy have their last moment together, that character Flynn or whatever says like, Oh, I really learned a lesson and the, the horse looks back like shut the fuck up, I don't care. Like let's just yeah. do like I got I got shit to do. Like you have to go to jail, you're on my back now. It's time for jail, yeah. the fucker. You stole shit. Over now. 
Yeah, I think that there's a lot to love about this movie. I like the music a lot. The animal side characters actually contributes positively to the movie instead of detracting a la Gargoyles from Hunchback of Notre Dame or Flounder and Sebastian and Little Mermaid. And she might not be the flashiest villain that we've looked at today, but I really actually do like Mother Gothel because of her more subtle gaslighty evil that was very like almost too real i was like oh this is like way darker than i would ever expect of a disney animated movie to go because she's going down like emotional abuse routes and stuff like that i'm like huh disney's really like cranking up the fucking darkness on this movie a little bit more than i was expecting them to where's max it is a very (laughs) very 21st century disney villain for sure And uh, shout out to Donna Murphy, who did the voice for it. She's a very well-known stage actress. Star Trek Insurrection. Star Trek Insurrection. Yes, she was. Oh, she's uh, the one that played Org Mother? No, no, no. no that's, that's First, that's first contact. contact. Insurrection. She plays the Lady Picard has the hots for on the planet. Oh, she plays the Sona Lady, right, right, right. Whose character name I cannot remember. Because yeah. why would you? <laughs> the Insurrection is yeah. a terrible movie. Uh, insurrection. It's bad. Yeah. But Donna Murphy, her voice acting. Oh, she's great. This, and her, and Mother Knows Best, that song yeah. was my, probably my favorite in the movie. Although I did really? enjoy <laughs> At Last I See the Light. I really, really liked. Um, I do like At Last I See the Light. I haven't said anything about the singing shit in any of these movies. I hate the singing. Like, I hate this musical stuff. I know. <laughs> I've been quiet the entire time. People... I just can't do it. As soon as they break yeah. into song, I'm like, well, I'm out. Like, it just breaks all verisimilitude for me in a movie when people start singing at each other. I'm like, I'm done. I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I can't. That, I, I know. And that's why I have kept my mouth shut for the entire two hours we've yeah. been talking about these movies. And all they do is sing at each other. Yeah. But this is the one where I was like, yeah. man, they sing a lot. Yeah, well, it's in Disney movies in particular where you have like the diegetic versus non-diegetic musical numbers. Yeah. Like, is this happening in the the actual world, or is it not, or is it more symbolic kind of thing? And yeah. usually they are non-diegetic. Like, they're the, the person is singing, but it's they're not really singing in person. It's just kind of like the the singing internal monologue. The, yeah, greater theme kind of thing. Unlike something like Cabaret, which is like everything is an in-universe performance, or Chicago, same deal. For everything is non-diegetic except for the first and last uh, musical mm-hmm. number. But yeah, they just sing too much, and I'm not I'm not on board with that. That's that's out. I, as someone who has loved musicals forever, Tangled is a fine musical. Like uh, I, the I have a dream moment. I'm not sure about that one still. Like, I think it's kind of cute, but I also think it's really fucking annoying. And is it what <laughs> the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond is doing yeah. the voice for the main bag, the tough the hook, guy? And hook hand. Hook hand guy. Oh, yeah, fuck, I hate his voice so much. Uh, yeah, Brad, Brad Garrett. Yeah, because his voice is terrible, but they have the, his isn't his partner fucking Ron Perlman? Yeah, Ron, like... Ron Perlman is Stabbington brother and Jeffrey oh, Tambor. Yeah is Big Nose. Oh, Jeffrey Tambor. Oh, yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So, the casting is pretty good in this movie, and I like... I, Casting's like, actually really good in this movie. When you look at the cast as a whole, you're like, wow, this, like, from top to bottom, like, Mandy Moore's great. Paul F. Tompkins is one of the thugs, too. Yeah. Like, there's, like, all the all the side characters, like, the thugs and stuff are all guys like Paul F. Tompkins, and, like, um, I just said his name, and now Brad Garrett. I'm escaping me. Uh, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. Was Ron Perlman. About, but, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So, like, that was cool. Zachary Levy, like, I always like him. I don't really like this character particularly, but like I like him. Yeah. He's fun. Yeah. And he pl- like he does voice acting very well. Like I didn't recognize his voice at first. I was like, oh, he's so it's so put on. Yeah. Like it's such a good voice acting performance. And I was like, oh, I didn't even catch it at first that it was Zachary Levy until I was like, this is Zachary Levy. You have to like think about it. So right. 
that turned out really well. And Donna Murphy's great. So yeah, I think that a problem with this movie that like it's what I'm gleaning from you guys is that it's kind of like unremarkable. And I think that's somewhat by design because I think that they were trying to reintroduce the Disney princess brand princess classic post Tiana kind of like, I don't know, like they're, they're introducing the, um, they wanted something safe. safe. Yeah. It's a safe movie. It's what it's a well-made movie, but it is very safe. And like for their first 3d princess movie, they went with like, Brothers Grimm, like full on, yeah, like classic with like even a, a very classic Western European setting. Their the art style that they chose to base it off of was Rococo. Like the it's based off of the Swing by Fragonard. It was like the inspirational painting that they used to as the basis for Tangled. Yeah, yeah, with some I guess like impressionist influences for the color. So it's it's a pretty movie, and I think that like it's functionally really good. And I find I find the main characters pretty endearing. Like I really like Rapunzel. I'm I'm fond of her. Yeah. Like just her go get him attitude, and she's like, I guess she's like proto Anna. I guess for the follow up, which was Frozen, yeah. unpower. Well, and there's Disney has this weird thing now in their 3D movies where like there's one magical element and everything else is totally normal. Like you've got Elsa with ice powers and everyone else is normal. You've got Rapunzel with glowing fucking hair and everyone else is normal. But way back in the day, like Sleeping Beauty, everything is magic. Or uh, Ursula, like, yeah, sure, everything's magic. But this is like like one magical element and then everything else is like the bare bones story. I did have a question. Yeah. Was her hair prehensile? Like, was she? Because like it was hooking <laughs> on stuff. And I was like, I don't think hair would do that naturally. But okay. Like, <laughs> I mean, the physics of Rapunzel's hair is... Up for debate. Was interesting. Was interesting. You know, <laughs> yeah, okay. it, it could be argued that because it's magical hair, that it had certain properties that were a little bit outside of the realm of, you know, realism, but that's okay. okay. I was on board, like, having rewatched the other two movies and then this one, this is kind of final thoughts ish kind of thing, but like, I had more fun watching this one. I will put a lot of the weight of that fun on Maximus. Like, I was super <laughs> on board with this fucking horse for some reason. I do not know why. Maybe it's just after three Disney movies, I was looking for something to just cling on to that entertained me. And he just was, I was like, this mm-hmm. fucking horse dog is pimp is all hell. Like, yeah, he's sniffing <laughs> the ground. He's going to find that little turd. This is going to yeah. be great. And he's going to stab him. At least I hope he fucking stabs him. <laughs> <laughs> fucking sword in his mouth. That was great. He fought off like nine guys. I'm like, this fucking horse is the baddest ass of all horses. <laughs> yeah. This horse is taking down Thanos, guys. Carol's riding that horse. Actually, no, that horse gets shrunk with Ant-Man. <laughs> Because this is the Reddit theory right now, is that... Uh, what, the anus, the anus, anus, uh, anus explosion? Anus, yeah. anus explosion, anus. Yeah. yeah. So, like, Ant-Man rides the horse shrunk into Thanos' butt, and they do it together. Because, like, Scott's not getting up there by himself. He's going to need Maximus to know how to get up there. I don't know what I'm talking about now. We should probably end the episode. Yeah. So, <laughs> final thoughts on Tangle, guys. Because, you know... I had fun with parts of it. Like I did like I have a dream. I like uh, I see the light, but it's just not much that grabbed me here. Like I, f- I thought Pascal was pretty cute, but overall it was just this one was just I never really felt like I got too invested in it. And especially like this was the third movie that I watched this week that had a young woman that needed to be protected from evil and had an adverse reaction to it and then ended up 
in a romance with a dude that's 10 years older than her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind of, <laughs> it was, it was jarring this week watching all these movies after having played the games that I played recently where I'm all like, I've been playing horizon zero dawn or like resident evil where it's all tomb Raider, where it's all strong female protagonists. Just like I'm taking care of myself. Don't need man. Fuck this horse shit. Kill them all. Kill them all. And then I get these princesses yeah. and I'm like, huh, I was having more fun when the girls were badass, really. Mm-hmm. So Usually because I can shoot an arrow at somebody's head, but yeah. it's neither here nor there. <laughs> or a horse up somebody's butt. Apparently. Hey, man, yeah. Maximus could get the job done is what I'm trying to say. I don't know why you're so down on the Maximus thing, Tim. I'm disappointed <laughs> in you, actually, yeah. right now. Yeah. Given that I have watched a lot of Disney princess movies in my life and they fluctuate in quality, I overall think that like Tangled was very serviceable. And I'm, I really like the dynamic between Rapunzel and Flynn or Eugene Fitzherbert, whatever. Yeah. I can see your criticisms. I can see that like cuz it is a very safe movie, so it doesn't to for some people it doesn't quite stand out the way Frozen did because Frozen really flipped the formula a little bit more or doesn't have it is quite I think it's quite beautiful, um but it doesn't have the stylistic oomph that Sleeping Beauty doesn't like I don't think they're like 60 years on I don't think they're ever going to top it, but that's just personal bias here unless they go back to a really out there 2D style cuz the a movie that has other than Spider-Verse, like an animated film hasn't jumped out at me stylistically other than Sleeping Beauty. Moana was pretty, pretty interesting stylistically, like those really exaggerated character designs and stuff like that. I found it would, it to be pretty interesting. I I guess that's true. And really vivid colors. And this is going to be me being weird about this kind of stuff, but I find actually the best, like kind of like animation work happening right now. Like the most interesting animation work is happening in video games more than it's happening in Mm. feature film and like CGI stuff. I find a lot of the CGI cuphead and shit like well, even that. cuphead yeah. but like almost anything really like even like the art direction on a game like god of war like compared to rapunzel or something like that like there's there's reasons why i don't know like there's i think that the, the people who are doing the best cg work are probably working in video games these days mm, that's true you know what i mean like i think that's kind of the way it's gone it's probably better money yeah. And you get to do, like, you're pretty restricted in these movies, right? Like, regardless of whether you're working for Universal or Disney, like, where you're working, what's the other one? DreamWorks? DreamWorks is the... DreamWorks, yeah. 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 They're always doing kind of a family-friendly thing. Whereas I think, like, if you're a CG artist, like, if I was a CG artist, and I was like, where do you want to work? Do you want to go work for Pixar? Or do you want to go work for Sony Santa Monica? And I'm like, I want to go design shit that Kratos kills. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, like, we we even mentioned this at the top of the episode when we were talking about the Yoshi games. Like... Mm -hmm. The animation for this Super Nintendo version of Yoshi's Island is still revered because of like how that aesthetic was well executed yeah. and still holds up. Yeah. Whereas we look at something like The Little Mermaid where the animation gets kind of janky and the, the design like it didn't hold up quite as well. And so there is I think there is something to be said about that. Like a lot of video games are being praised for their unique visual style, cell shading, cell shaded games, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking about Breath of the Wild again. Like the character on yeah. display yeah. in some of the, the animation that they pull off in that game alone, I'm like, that's like, I hadn't seen anything in a Disney movie that impresses me as much as stuff that I've seen in like like Breath of the Wild or God of War or Horizon in a long time is what I'm trying to get at. Like I, yeah. when I get really excited about an animation or like something I've seen graphically, it's usually been coming from video games lately. But I get, or a Marvel movie, I guess, but that's just me. Yeah, and I think that Tangled, because it has pretty minimal, like, supernatural elements, it doesn't get to flex very much. Like, it is really cool when her Rapunzel's hair lights up, like, in the water yeah. uh, in that one scene. Yeah. 
They and, did a good job in that. Yeah, and so I think a movie like Frozen, where there is like a big supernatural conceit, like the the trailer for Frozen Two, where she's like, it's um, like an X Men trailer, the waves of the ocean. Yeah, and the water looks amazing, mm-hmm. and the way that her the ice because of the nature of the film, like having a bare bones adventure plot where it's just like dudes chasing each other on horses and having sword fights. Unless you've got like a really unique style, it's not going to pop the same way because there's like. Why animate it then? Yeah. Why not just do it live action? I did think a couple times, like, I probably would have preferred to watch Mandy Moore running around than I would have watched a CGI model, but that's <laughs> just, you know, personal preference. I did think this movie, like, I, I didn't really talk about the animation on this movie at all. I thought the animation was pretty good in that it was, like, a 3D representation of a very snappy kind of 50s-style Disney animation. It looks a little plasticky, but it's so finely textured. Like, the detail on everything was very, very high. So like I was kind of like the characters looked kind of weird and cartoony and kind of gross in some spots, like the age was showing. But then yeah. at the same time, you're looking at the detail, like the seaming and like how yeah. like crisp all the texture work on it was. I was like, this looks really nice. It's just, yeah, it's like some 2010 jank. Yeah. Like you can't get rid of that. Yeah. So the Kingdom of Corona, like the Rapunzel world, was one of the big featured worlds in Kingdom Hearts three, and it looks fucking gorgeous on PS4. Well, I would like, imagine living in that world as. where you get to beat up it's amazing the funny part is the horsepower of the ps4 can probably almost render everything that they were rendering in like post rendering in that movie (laughs) like in real time now like on like yeah and that's like that those systems are seven years old like we're that's the one thing we didn't talk about in the news today is like the the rumor mill for playstation 5 and xbox 2 are really starting to ramp up along with the uh, google stadia announcement like the people are really starting to chat that stuff up We'll talk about it later. And a new version of the stuff yeah. might be coming out too, according to the Wall Street Journal. But yeah, we'll talk about yep. that next time. All right. So now that we've gone through all these movies, what was your feeling after having watched these three movies again? Like, I honestly kind of got a feeling of diminishing returns overall. Like just that, uh, and I'm sure this is probably because, you know, I'm older, I'm more jaded now. I'm not watching, you know, I'm definitely watching like Sleeping Beauty with, you know, through rose-colored glasses, especially considering like that is Disney under Walt kind of thing, which I have a real soft spot for. And but yeah, I was actually surprised with how much Little Mermaid did not grab me as much as I thought it would for being so highly yeah. revered by our generation. I mean, still, still good. Still has the strongest musical numbers. Tangled, I just like I said never really, never really grabbed me. It had good moments. It had. Uh, you know, a little bit of cool visuals here and there. It was definitely better stylistically, I think, than Little Mermaid, but nowhere near the level of Sleeping Beauty. So, yeah. Mark, how about you? This is a little bit more of a slog for me than it probably was for you guys this week. But, I mean, I had a good time. I always have a good time going back to Sleeping Beauty. I just like looking at that movie a lot. So that's always kind of like a treat. I was surprised, kind of like Tim, that like I had a weird thought in my head that like Little Mermaid along with like Aladdin and Lion King, like I'd like those movies. So now I'm like, do I actually like these movies? Because I had a real hard time with Little Mermaid this time out. With the exception of the Ursula character and some of the animation, it was kind of a tough sit. And then I was super surprised by how much I kind of like enjoyed Tangled. Like for all my bitching and stuff, like I had a good time with it. It wasn't like the perfect movie by any stretch, but like I definitely was like, oh, it's a 7.58 kind of movie for me. Maximus takes that shit up to a nine. Like That fucking horse is like my goddamn hero. <laughs> I love that horse now. <laughs> I'm gonna get that horse tattooed on my back, I think. So, like, he's fucking yeah. I like that horse, but uh, yeah, no, I had a good time with this. I mean, going into a Disney-centric episode, I was just my skin was crawling, but I found my way through. 
So there's that. Yeah. And <laughs> like, there is something to be said about the films that I picked. Like I could have gone a little bit less princessy, yeah. but I really wanted to go. I really wanted to go there because I think that they're the bread and butter of what we think of. Like the, the Disney brand is very much the princesses. And I had to talk about Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. I had to because I fucking love that movie so much. And in spite of my nitpicking on it, I probably seen that movie 50 something times, you know, like a lot. I just like looking at it. I like listening to it. I was just going to say, I want to do this episode again, but I want Tim to pick the next three. I'll pick some weird fucking offbeat Disney shit. Well, that's what I mean, though. Like, I want I want to do this again with Tim picking them kind of thing. I will never be able to pick three Disney movies that like, unless it's like, hey, we're going to watch both Incredibles movies. And I don't know what else. You can do the Pixar episode. Maybe I'll do like befriending a creature movies and I'll do like Jungle Book, like Lilo and Stitch and something else. What was that one? Uh, what was Lilo the superhero? The other superhero one? They just did one. Big, Big Hero Six. Big Hero Six. Yeah. Big Hero, yeah, Big Hero Six. Six. I could watch again. I like that one. It was fun. I had a good time with that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of classic ones, and I'm like Robin Hood, maybe. Oh, I do love that Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. I guess I'll Robin Hood. That. Yeah. yeah. Like I feel like I had like that one. I might I remember fondly. I don't know. We'll see. Whatever. So yeah, uh, should we do number ratings for? Each you want movie? to? Sure, if you want. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's try. <laughs> it's an intellectual exercise, Tim. What would you rate Sleeping Beauty, Little Mermaid, and Tangled out of 10? Sleeping Beauty, I'd give a 9 out of 10. I'd only deduct a point because it's a little thin in the story side. Mm-hmm. Little Mermaid, probably, I'd probably still give it an 8 out of a 10 just because it's got so many iconic musical numbers. And then for Ursula, fuck Tangled. I'm going to say like a 6 out of 10 on Tangled. Mark, what about you? Uh, Sleeping Beauty at nine. I think it's kind of like my my or example of a Disney movie. Like that would be the one if I ever if some poor misbegotten soul is ever stuck being my child, that would be the one Disney movie that I uh, probably put them in front of. So Sleeping Beauty gets a nine. Little Mermaid is a tough one, man. I'm going to say like five. I'll say five. I won't be totally cruel, but not great. And then Tangled. Mm-hmm. Tangled is definitely like a 7.5 for me, but I'm going to bump it up to an 8.5 because Maximus. <laughs> My fucking boy. The, the Maximus bump. The Maximus bump. He's just... The Maximizer. Maximizer bump. I'm wondering if they have, like... Somebody needs to put, like, a YouTube Greatest Hits collection of Maximus up for me, so I can just watch that now. I'm just going to watch that on a loop. Oh, look it up. I'm sure it exists. Probably. Because people fucking love it. Good. Them. As well, they should. Yeah. I'm disappointed in both of you for not liking Maximus as much as you should, because <laughs> you're both garbage people. Monster I mean... People. Calm down. <laughs> Just an animated horse, Paul. Mark, he's, it's okay. <laughs> just, it's just a, a fucking cartoon. It's a dog that's a horse. That's a dog. Yeah, it's okay. just a cartoon dog that Whatever. looks like a horse. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. As for me, Sleeping Beauty, I'm going to give a 9.5. The nitpicks I have with that movie are very slim for me. Like, there's something I can completely gloss over, but I know that they are there. I just, you know, like 9.5. Little Mermaid, I will give a 6.5 on the strength of the musical numbers, but story-wise, <laughs> oof. And Tangled, I'll give a solid 8. It's safe and well-executed, and I like the mains quite a lot. And yeah, Maximus is fun. So, yeah. So, that's it, guys. So, thanks very much for listening to us ramble about Disney princess movies <laughs> for two hours-ish. If you haven't already, please subscribe, which you can do via whatever podcasting app you prefer, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Also, we'd love to hear what you thought about these movies or the news or our Geek of the Week. So please drop us a line at facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast 
or email us at dancerobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. That's it for us. So say goodnight, Tim. I'll be with you once upon a dream, listeners. <laughs> and say goodnight, Mark. What the fuck was that? Go on, uh, goodnight. <laughs> goodnight. Uh, I love you too, Tim. I was doing some ASMR. I love you too, buddy. For our listeners. <laughs> and I'm Paul. So good night, please. <laughs> I made that real weird yeah, and I we love fucking- it. That got awkward. <laughs> oh boy. Fuck. Jeepers. All right. <laughs>